Bright Suns, you're now listening to the Star Wars Friends Podcast on the No One Is Listening Podcast Network. Punch it, Chewie! What have we here? Hello there. Morning, Senator. Greetings, my We are the ones who guard the power. We are the middle, the beginning. <laughs> So who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. You're a feisty little one, but you'll soon learn some respect. So, this is where the fun begins. <laughs> what are you talking about? This is madness. What did Lisa say? Join the conversation with the Star Wars friends on social media at SW Friends Show. That's at SW Friends Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Email the Star Wars friends at show at starwarsfriends.com if you have a comment or question you want us to read live on the show. Now, here are your hosts, the Star Wars friends! Hey, what's happening, boys and girls of the internet world? My name is Christopher Marinan, and you are watching the Star Wars Friends Podcast. And joining me on this very special evening are my Star Wars friends. This is Josh, and this is my first opportunity to uh, just say to Kyle that <sighs> the thing that we've all been waiting for, except for you, finally happened. I want you to see my shirt. It says Boba Fett is alive. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, Allegedly. Just, it feels good. Feels good to say it and see your face while I'm saying it. <laughs> he was cloned millions of times. It's not proven until it's proven. <laughs> oh Lord. Uh, this is Justin and I I can say I'm honestly getting super excited for the holidays based on holiday Star Wars figures. Hey. Oh boy. I wouldn't have thought that would have kicked me into high holiday gear, but it is. So that's Damn awesome. Trooper. Ho ho ho. Yeah, November 2nd. This is Kyle, and I am <laughs> not in possession of a Santa Stormtrooper, and I don't know that that's going to change. Probably not. This is Maggie, and I have uh, possibly bankrupted myself with Baby Yoda toys. Yes, yes. It is Mando Monday today for all you listening. This is Mando Mondays, and that's where they get you. It's a lot of cool stuff coming out here to celebrate the Mandalorian. We're here for it. And we are also here for those Santa Troopers, which are super weird and bizarre, but kitschy enough to put them on my mantle for the holidays. So with that being said, we are here for a very special episode. I want to get right to it. This is we've been I have goosebumps as I'm speaking right now. Uh, This is something that we've been looking forward to for a very long time. We have none other than Mr. Gary Witta joining us on the Star Wars Friends podcast. Mr. Witta, how are you doing today? Hello, I'm good. Thank you. It's a very impressive uh, intro you had there with all the different sound effects and dialogue bits and music from the Star Wars movies. That was really cool. Well, thank you. Oh, thank thanks. you. We have we like to celebrate all things Star Wars, uh, including the holiday special. And I'm actually excited to see the new one, what they're going to do with yeah, that. So, uh, yeah, we like to have a lot of fun with this. And, uh, you know, but one thing I really want to get out the way is I want to see how you're holding up. You, you're I believe you're on the West Coast. How are you holding up with COVID wildfires? 2020 has been a a really hard year for everybody and we get to do something like this to hopefully spread a little positivity, but how are you holding up? 
Um, you know, I think better than most. I'm 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 getting very used to saying uh, the words as well as can be expected. You know, when when people ask uh, me how uh, I'm doing, I'm you know very very fortunate. Our family is very fortunate in that you know we're we're largely insulated from it. I work from home. My wife works from home. You know, we're financially secure. We're a lot better, and we have a nice big house. So you know, at least when we're cooped up, we're cooped up in a nice big house. A lot of people don't have that level yeah. of of comfort or financial security, and um, it really, it really, really sucks. It's difficult to acknowledge uh, or uh, or recognize history when you're living through it. But people will still be talking about 2020 100 years from now and how much it sucked, yeah. without a doubt. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's heavy, but this is you know the one thing that we that we try to do on our show, and I know I know you probably do it as well, is just try to spread as much cheer as possible. It's good to hear you're you're a good setup. Um, and we just want to extend our, our sympathies to anybody on the West Coast affected by the wildfires and and, and all that. It's just been really uh, wild, right. wild. So uh, one thing that we are definitely looking forward to is learning about you. Now you are you're incredibly prolific. I mean, you have. If I had one of those scrolls from medieval times to just throw, it would like <laughs> launch across the room right now with your with your history and. One of the things that I love to do, especially through podcasting, is, is meet people like yourself who not only have your cachet in Star Wars, but you have your hands in on so many different IPs. Uh, you are wildly creative, uh, creative writer. The, your mind is something that has affected all of us in in great ways. I mean, everything for I, learning that you were in The Walking Dead, let alone writing for The Walking Dead. Like those are things that me as as a I love that. IP. It's fantastic. I've been a fan forever. These are just really fantastic stories that you get to craft. And I, I just want to thank you before we get started here, really learning about your origin. I want to thank you for joining us today. It means a lot. A lot, a lot You're going to make me blush. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's very <laughs> flattering to hear you uh, lay it all out like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. So one of the things we love to do with our guests is learn their origin stories. I mean, this is the Star Wars Friends podcast, so naturally we're going to ask Star Wars related questions, but I I love to learn people's first you know, their their first experience with it. How did you get into it? Did it ever change over time? Uh, you know, what is this what was your first experience in the movie theater watching a Star Wars film like? Um so I was too young to see the original Star Wars uh, in 77 when it first came out. I was born in 72, so I was uh, I would have been four, uh, approaching my fifth birthday when, when Star Wars first uh, came out. So I was too young to see it in the, in the movie theaters. Um, the first time I actually saw it was a year or two later when it came on uh, British uh, commercial television. It was on ITV, wow. which is a you know, kind of commercial... Mm-hmm station where uh, much like American television, you know, the shows and the movies are kind of chopped up with commercial breaks. And I recorded it on VHS. I had one of those old clunky piano key um, oh, yeah. uh, video recorders called a Ferguson video star. And it had these big clunky buttons you had to push down and record and play together. If you wanted to, yes. like, you, I don't know how many, many people here are old enough to remember this stuff, but it was oh, like yeah. the remote had like a wire on it. It was a wired remote. It was like, <laughs> really? And the thing, this thing was like the size of a house. Yeah, oh it was like a yeah. two-man lift to get this video machine <laughs> in the house. Um, but we, we felt very fancy because I think we were the first people on our street to have a VHS uh, machine. Um, and I recorded uh, Star Wars off of uh, ITV when they first showed it on television. That was the first time that I saw it. The funny thing about it is I watched that movie on that tape 
so many times, and that was really my first experience of Star Wars, that I, yeah. the, the commercial breaks began to get baked into the movie for me. And so now to this day, when I still see the original Star Wars, I still kind of anticipate the commercial break because I remember exactly where they where they fell. Yeah. Um, and, and watching it without commercials was almost a weird experience for me because that was the first. I remember like the, there was like the commercial for like this first Sony Walkman was in there somewhere. And wow. it was just an, an Atari 2600 games. It was like... I wish I still had that tape because that movie plus the commercial breaks of like things that were, you know, popular, you know, emerging products and, and things at the time. It's like, it's like a little time capsule. Um, but that was my first experience seeing Star Wars um, in any format. My first experience like at the movies was, was Empire, wow. uh, which I was, you know, about that point, three years later, I was old enough to go see it. And then weirdly, the big one for me, and it's why I still, I say it's my, but I don't think it's not, I don't think it's the best one, but it's my personal sentimental favorite is return of the jedi yes um and i will to this day i'll happily get into like a long argument with anyone about the merits of that movie i know people have problems with it and the ewoks and stuff like that trust me i'll fight you on all of it um i will i will we would would never do anything like that i will defend return of the jedi to my dying day and if you've seen rogue one you'll you'll recognize a lot of the return of the jedi dna in there which is like largely due to me you know really wanting to kind of emulate or pay homage to or or benefit like these things worked so well in return of the jedi i kind of want to borrow them or steal them like the battle of scarif is like really heavily influenced by the battle of endor like the big capital ships and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and in fact the whole idea of the third act you know a battle in space a battle on the ground and they're kind of interrelated that's you know very much uh kind of a tribute or or borrowed from um uh return of the jedi so there's a lot of there's Mm -hmm. probably more uh if there's any one single movie that's like has more like reference points in it, or as it was an inspiration point for Rogue One, it's probably Jedi. At least from my, I was only one of the several writers that worked on it, but there was a lot of Return of the Jedi DNA went into Rogue One because it was it was such a, a emotional time for me. Empire is a great movie, but you know mm-hmm. it kind of ends in a in a dark place, obviously. And so at the end of the movie, I was aware that I had watched something amazing, but like you come out of there, you you come out of Empire feeling like oh shit, like. <laughs> it's it's not you know it's not a happy ending obviously right right return wow. of the jedi is and mm-hmm. i remember walking out of that theater in in uh, london with my dad who took me 11 years old and i just cried because all of the emotion of you know anakin's redemption you know tell your sister you were right and all that kind of stuff and burning his father's body and even the yubnub like i just love yubnub it's one of the yes. reasons why i still <laughs> What I have at home is still the original version, not the not the special edition, because awesome. I can't I can't live without my my yubnub. Um, <laughs> uh, it's that 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 to me is Game the, the movie that still uh, touches me the most. I think it's the one that I have like the emo the, the, emo, the like the, the, like my inner child kind of remembers the most, mm-hmm. and it was a really really profound moment for me. I can tell you the exact specific moment where like my little eleven year old mind just melted. <laughs> It was during the, the, the second uh, Death Star attack when they're skimming on the surface. Mm-hmm. Orlando says, here goes nothing. And he barrel rolls the Millennium Falcon. And now they're inside the superstructure <laughs> yes. of the Death Star. Like my mind just like collapsed yeah. on itself. Like, I couldn't believe what I was watching. <laughs> and then like 30 years later, 30 something years later, I got to go to the Skywalker archives and they actually had oh, that man. prop piece, the, oh. the vent that he barrel rolls inside. It's like a, it's like a model about six feet wide. Oh my God. And I got to see it and I almost cried again because like that, I remember like that's the specific moment where I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. Cause I was like, Oh my God, whatever. I remember thinking as an 11 year old kid, as an 11 year old kid, like whatever sense of magic and awe and wonder this movie is like filling me with right now, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. And that's why I got into movie making. So to be, so to eventually 
go on a journey that brought me to Skywalker and to be right next to that actual vent where I, that, that exhaust uh, port where you know the Millennium Falcon flies inside and to like see it and touch it, I wasn't supposed to touch it. Um, uh, was 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 just uh, just I mean that, that whole Star Wars experience just has like twenty different moments like that where I almost cried and like the ten year old version of me is like yeah you did okay um, that was that was that was definitely definitely one of them uh, for sure that's huge so you're eleven you're seeing Return of the Jedi profound experience that has set you on this course for the rest of your life and. Obviously, there's a tremendous gap of time from Return of the Jedi to prequels. What other what other IPs did you get into? What else What else helped you develop your voice as a creative writer? So, so, so Star Wars is definitely one of the big ones, and and so many filmmakers of my generation who grew up on you know the films of the late seventies, early eighties, will all say the same thing: like Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. And a lot of them talk about that opening shot of the Star Destroyer flying overhead. You know, the New Hope. Um, for me, again, it was the barrel roll into the Death Star in the set, in, in the third one. But like, like so many filmmakers of that generation will talk about Star Wars as like this talismanic thing that kind of set them on that journey. And it's certainly one of them for me, but it wasn't the only one. Like I grew up on a lot of, you know, I was like a super nerdy kid and I consumed all of it. I was really into like Battlestar Galactica yeah. and like one of my all time favorite movies was and still is, uh, Time Bandits. Uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy I read voraciously oh, yeah. uh, that probably made me want to be like Star Wars made me want to get into that sort of thing but Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy made me want to be a writer more than anything else because it's so beautifully and brilliantly written um, let me think what else The Last Starfighter is a big one for me and you know, a lot of a lot of the kind of the Amblin um, movies the Spielberg mm-hmm. movies you know there, there was that kind of magical period in the early 80s where like the Star Trek movies you know, two, three, four. Uh, were going strong, you know, Tron. Uh, yeah. There were just so many, like that, that was, so, that was, you know, the thing. There were just so many great movies through the early to mid '80s that just I was very fortunate to be born at that time. Whereas I was like in my early teens and just uh, just old enough to start understanding, like you know, how amazing these movies were. That's when all those movies were coming out and kind of hitting me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, uh, yeah, it's I'm, I'm fortunate to have had like I, I was very, I had a very good. Um, uh, diet of, of of kind of pop culture and geeky entertainment when I was growing up because it was like right there in the 80s when all that amazing stuff was coming out. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, that was, we've talked about it on this show, that era of film and storytelling has not been replicated really. I mean, outside of maybe the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as far as for the younger generation. I have a, a nephew who's 14, 15 years old now and that's what he grew up on. And I can't wait to see what stories come out of this generation that's that's. It, learning those stories now and seeing what they're coming out with being over in London. When these came out, were you ever, did you ever listen to the BBC radio dramas? Were you ever a fan of those? Because those are, those are things that I found later in life on YouTube. You know, obviously I was, I was not privy to those things, but did you ever listen to the radio dramatizations at all? Yeah, I listened to the radio drama. I read the novelization, um, uh, and I, and of course, I bought all the toys. Like the bit, like, like the biggest way that I expressed my love for Star Wars is I, I, I obsessively collected the toys. I had a lot of action. You're on figures. the right podcast. <laughs> yeah, I had, I had a lot. I had a lot of the toys. Um, in fact, it's funny. Again, it's funny how these things come back. You know, years later, I wrote an episode of Star Wars Rebels called "The Antilles Extraction," which is like mm-hmm. the origin story of how they. Uh, broke, uh, you know, Wedge and Harvey out of the Imperial Academy. And there's like a thing that happens where the Empire kind of sets them up and they disable their TIE fighters when they try to escape. And the wings 
kind of pop off. Yes. Uh, and that was, I don't know, I didn't think anyone was going to get it, but like I wrote that in as like, if you, if you remember the old original toy, when oh, yeah. you press a little spring on the top, the TIE fighter wings would like pop off to simulate it being destroyed. And I was like, no one's going to get this. But I had like, I, but then I got like hundreds of emails from people going, oh my God, my toy did that. I can't believe you remembered yeah. that. Yes. And it's so funny how those little kind of reference points and the things that we all remember. Um, it's really funny. You know, we talk about Star Wars storytelling in all the different ways that we experience Star Wars storytelling through the, through the movies uh, and now television. And like you said, radio dramas, the novelizations, the comic books, video games. There's so yeah. many different ways. I think one way that is often underrepresented um, is the stories that you make up yourself when you're playing with the action figures and kind of like bashing them mm -hmm. against you. Because know, you can do anything you want, right? right? You can make Boba Fett fight um, Luke if you want. Like you can, you can do that. You can, well, I mean, that actually did happen, I guess, in Return of the Jedi. But you know, you, you, you can mash up any combination and tell your own stories. And I think that is actually really valuable, like in the life of an aspiring young writer, because that's your first opportunity to kind of take the, the elements, the characters, and start figuring out, well, what, what do I want to do? What stories do I want to tell? I remember my job interview at Lucasfilm for Rogue One. I told him about how when I was a kid, I took my Han Solo action figure and uh, stuck it in the ice cube tray and put it in the freezer to like freeze Han Solo in <laughs> yes, carbonite. And then yes. I would like run it under the warm tap to, to kind of defrost awesome. him and kind of thaw him out again. And it's, I, 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 really, I really do often think that the toys and the way that we experience the toys, I mean, again, a lot of, Many people aren't really old enough to remember like growing up during the original trilogy, but for people of a certain vintage like me who can remember, still remember these days going into the store and seeing those racks of figures, like all the different figures, and you yeah. wanted all of them, but you only had, you know, you only had like so much pocket money every month. You had to decide like which one you wanted to get. I was like, I mean, you remember you used to watch the TV commercials and like it was ridiculous, like the kid in the TV commercial. I know his dad must have been rich or something because he had like 500 stormtroopers. <laughs> I mean, who has 500 stormtroopers? Right. I have money for like one, maybe one action figure a week. I'm not buying another stormtrooper. I'm going to buy like Lando Calrissian or something. Right. But like, this, guy, this kid's just buying stormtroopers. Up. What's going on? <laughs> um, but yeah, they always had the most. They always they always had the most uh, extravagant play sets, and there were different things. Um, there were some things that were always forever out of my reach. One was like the full size uh, at at Walker. I never. Mm. Quite, I always wanted it. Never quite got it. Never got the Rancor that I wanted. Um, never got the big sand crawler, which was kind of crappy anyway, right? It was just kind of cardboard. Yes. Um, but I, <laughs> yes. Did, I, I did have a – I wish I'd have kept them. When I moved to the U.S., I had to kind of give up a lot of stuff. I gave, gave it all yeah. away. Uh, but I did as a kid. I did have a pretty good um, uh, collection. It was weird. Years later when I was working at Lucasfilm, I, uh, they have all the figures there, of course. And it was like these are the vintage ones. And uh, I remember picking up the, the Han Solo figure. And thinking, wow, these are way smaller than I remember. Like, I didn't realize they were this, this yeah. smaller. Are these smaller? Mm -hmm. And the guy was like, no, we hear this all the time. They're not smaller. It's just that your hands are bigger. <laughs> and I, that's why you think oh, they're wow. smaller, because you remember mm -hmm. them you yeah. know, comparatively to the size of your hand being pretty big. But when you come back as a grown-up, you're like, oh, these look really small. No, you're just bigger. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> what, uh, what was your favorite action figure from the Kenner or, or for Palatoy, right? Palatoy was the distributor in, for, in, well, for, in the UK. It was Kenner made all those. Toys. Was it? Okay. Yeah. And they made, they, they, they made a lot of, you know, the, the, you know, the classic packaging that we all remember. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, uh, I had a bunch of them and I had a little, I had a little briefcase and these little comp little compartments in them that you could put the figures in. Yeah. Um, I don't know what my favorite one was. I always remember being really disappointed by anything with a lightsaber because it was a little plastic thing and it always bent. It always ended up, you know, like no one has yeah, like a bendy lightsaber. Uh, but I remember, the, <laughs> I remember that. My favorite one was probably, let me think, I was a big fan of Nine Numb because I've always loved mm. Nine Numb. He's always mm. been one of my favorite characters. 
Um, and uh, all of the, like any of the Endor uh, rebel soldiers, because I always just love the outfit, you know, that particular yeah. helmet that they wore and the kind of the green Endor camo, I always thought was super cool. And the scout troopers, my favorite, like, I had a, I, I, like again, that thing, been, obviously there's been so many different variations of the stormtrooper design over the years, like snow troopers and what have you, but like the Endor scout trooper, the bike trooper, I always thought personally was just like the coolest stormtrooper design. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. That's objectively true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just ordered that the the scout trooper with the baby Yoda. Uh-huh. And I was like, ah, oh, fifty bucks, and I was like, no, I gotta get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was the only thing that disappointed me about the about the scout troopers, and I wish I'd have done this better at the time. Again, you know, the, the, the technology's come a long way, but at the time, I had I actually had the speeder bike, and the speeder bike again was just a, br- a beautiful, brilliant piece of design. I love that speeder yeah. bike design. Mm-hmm. But when you put the action figure on it, because the knees didn't bend, his legs just kind of stack and stuck out. Like, this. <laughs> like he's a kid on a ride going, wee! Like, that's not how they sit. Like the leg, the, you know, the knees should bend. And now right. if, you get, if you get whatever version of that toy is today, I'm sure it's fully articulated. Uh, but when I was a kid, we, le- we learned to live with these kind of compromises. That, that four-point articulation. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. There. Four yeah. points. All four points. <laughs> so Return of the Jedi was your favorite film growing up. Is it still to this day? Is it still your favorite Star Wars chapter? Or is there one that has taken over? It's Return of the Jedi is still the one that, that kind of takes me back to my childhood the most. Just because I had such a transformative experience in the theater. And just every single part of it, I love. All of the Jabba's Palace stuff is amazing. The Battle of Endor, I think, is still to this day like the best space battle that's ever been put on film. Tried to top it in Rogue One. I think we got close, but I don't think anything will ever beat that battle. Um, uh, and you know, just and just everything in between. Again, I I I like the Ewoks. I love them. Yeah. Um, and and just and, you know, and and again, it's just so emotional. Everything just gets tied up in this beautiful bow. You know, the redemption of Anakin you know, the defeat of um, uh, the empire and, you know, it's just so happy. Everyone's kind of loud. It just, you know, just everyone, like my favorite moments in that movie is just when everyone's kind of reunited at the end and like Chewie and Wedge are like, yay, we're, we did it. And they're all <laughs> hugging each other and just yeah. everyone's so happy. And to me, I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm glad they continued to tell the stories. Uh, but for me, that image of them, that final shot of, of um, Return of the Jedi. If you remember, it's the final shots, not like the Force Ghosts. It's just them all like clapping along Mm -hmm. to the music and being super happy. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, that's how I want you to leave the story. Everyone's reunited. Everyone's happy. Everything's tied up in a neat little bow. The good guys won. I'm all good. And that, that to me was just the perfect ending to that movie. Yeah, yeah, we've we've definitely we are huge fans of Return of Jedi on this show. We've we've discussed the merits of many of our guests and. I'm with you on the Ewoks, man. I don't know why people bash Ewoks as much as they do. I'll take them blinking, not blinking. Doesn't matter. They're they're good either way. <laughs> I think they're great. And uh, I see the B-Wing behind you as well. Still, it's still my, mm-hmm. by far my personal favorite Rebel ship design ever made. The B-Wing is just a thing of beauty. I absolutely love it. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. The, the toy, you know, the cockpit rotates with it. And mm-hmm. it's really fantastic. And, you know, I guess I have to ask this question because we're just – we're on we're on topic now. Uh, I <laughs> I'm a huge proponent of the original holiday special, not because I love it, but because of its quirks. What are your feelings, Mr. Gary Witta, on the original <laughs> Star Wars holiday special? You know, it is what it is. It's a product of its time, and and <laughs> and it, and it is. You know, you can. It's easy to look back on it now with 2020 hindsight and say, yeah, that was that was ill advised. Like you probably shouldn't have done that. Um, <laughs> It's just this weird artifact, right? Yeah, With like, yeah. you know, the Star Wars characters, but then there's B. Arthur and 
you know, and then the, <laughs> right. the, Boba, the Boba Fett animated thing. And like, it's just a strange, fascinating piece of Star Wars history. And I understand why George and, and Lucas and other people like don't really want to acknowledge it and kind of go, yeah, like, you know, talk about that. It is what it is. I, I, for a long time, uh, Lucasfilm said, like, you should bring it back. Like, Disney has its own TV. Now you have ABC. Like, bring right. the holiday special back. You should do it every Christmas. And, like, I guarantee you all the biggest stars in Hollywood will be lining up to do yeah. it. But, like, you can actually mm. make it good now. And they didn't do exactly that, but I think they've actually done one better. I think the idea of like putting it in the Lego universe is really the perfect way to do the holiday special now because the Lego Star Wars universe has done a great job of carving out this niche for itself as like, yeah, this is where we do all the goofy stuff Mm -hmm. and it can just, and and, you know, it can still be Star Wars and you can still love it, but it, but it's kind of sits apart from everything else. It's just its own thing. I think, you know, that, that actually was like the master trait. I I always, I think they probably did want to bring back the holiday special. There is this weird fondness for it. Even mm-hmm. though, you know, it, yeah. it's just, I keep saying it is what it is. There's no other way to describe right. it. Sure. But there is this weird historical fondness for it. Um, and I think they did want to kind of honor it in some way. Uh, and the way to do it, I, they, had, they had already had the Lego universe and putting it in the Lego universe, which is already like a tonal fit for the kind of goofiness that the holiday special requires. Mm-hmm. I think right. make, I'm really excited to see it. I think it makes a lot of sense to do it in Lego. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait to I do agree. it. And Disney Plus has that group watch feature where you can watch with friends now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I think I'm going to try mm-hmm. that out when that comes out in a couple of weeks. And it's crazy because it's like two weeks away. It's- yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, it was just March. We, I mean, for real, it was insane. This year has gone by so fast. Lego Gormanda? Oh, Lego Gormanda is going to be sweet. Going to be sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Gary, what, you know, as a writer – Dialogue is incredibly important, and obviously Star Wars has made this imprint on you and your voice. What is your favorite quote from the entire Star Wars lexicon? Oh, geez, that's a good question. Wow, I wish I, I, I wish I wish I'd have thought about that ahead of time. I'm sure I could have thought a good one. Now you've kind of put me on the spot. It's tough. No, it's um, tough. Yeah. For a, for a, for a, for a while there, I. Um, uh, when I, whenever I would write a screenplay, I would always find a way to have someone say, "I've got a bad feeling about this." But, but you know, in a way, that's kind of too obvious because, like, they always say it. In Rogue One, the, I originally had Jin say, "I've got a good feeling about this," which is our way of kind of doing it without doing it. They eventually did it in a different way, which I thought was cute. And then I've got a good feeling about this turned up in Solo, so like yeah. someone had the same mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. Um, geez, that's a that's a, like, like, let me think. Let me let me let, let, let me percolate on that and come back to me at the end of the show, maybe because obviously back. there is there are there are there are so many. Um, you know what? I think I think I think it, I think I, I think I know what it might. It's got to be some kind of piece of Yoda wisdom, and I think it's um, you know it's got to be any. Like, there's so many lines for it. Like Yoda, I, I know what it is. It's and it gets me every time. And I'm going to get choked up even thinking about it when Yoda lifts the X-wing out of the swamp. Yeah, and yeah. and Luke says I don't believe it, and Yoda mm. says that is why you fail. I'm like, oh my god, like that's all of it right there. Like that's the entire mythos of the Force, like distilled mm-hmm. yes. into you know just into, into such simple terms. And I remember I had it actually had it wrong for the longest time. Um, uh, when Luke says, oh, will they die? When he's talking about his friends on cloud city and, and Yoda says, uh, difficult to see always in motion is the future. Uh, um, I thought for the longest time, Yoda said, always emotion is the future. And it wasn't until years <laughs> later that I heard like a better version of like a, a, like a remastered sound mix. And I heard what he actually said. I ended up using that in because I, I wrote the graphic novel adaptation of The Last Jedi for Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. And there's a line where I gave Leia some additional dialogue where she's talking about everything that Luke learned from Yoda. And she says, Oh, you know, my brother always said, 
uh, said the f- the future is always in motion, which is like you know the human way of saying what Yoda said. Um, and uh, and I, I just I just thought that's like a I, I like the idea like always like the idea that the future is always in motion, as if to say like it's constantly changing. Like every decision you make changes all the different you know kind of possible variabilities of like what your future might be. And there's no set future. There's no fate or destiny. Even though they talk a lot about destiny and yeah, fate in yeah. Star Wars, what I like to believe, and I think what Yoda's are not acknowledging there, is that you make your own fate and you make your own destiny minute by minute with every decision that you make in your life. Yeah, we uh, that that whole the whole the whole ESB Yoda Dagobah training is something that we we definitely wax poetic about on this show often uh i know kyle is a big component or a big proponent of of those dialogue scenes there and uh, oh my god i mean every single line that yoda says is just go you know what what's in there mm-hmm. only what you take with you like every single thing it's like and he mm-hmm. and he doesn't he doesn't yoda never goes on like a long rant like the like, like a couple of a couple of times he just, uh, gives like a little speech but they're actually incredibly short um, he doesn't, he doesn't round, you know, he, he use, always uses like just, you know, no more or less words than he needs to communicate his point. And that, and that, and that, and that Lawrence Kazan dialogue is just so incredibly well done. And I kind yeah. of felt like if you remember in the original Star Wars, of course, um, they don't really talk, touch on the mysticism of the force very, you know, you get one line from Alec Guinness who basically explains what it is and that's it. And you just accept that it is this thing, this mystical energy field. And they don't really dive deeper into the kind of the mysticism of it until Yoda really starts, you know, getting deeper yeah. into it. And that was the movie that really kind of opened up like the magic and the mythology and the spirituality of the force. And that's why all of that stuff on Dagobah, I kind of feel like that, that's for me is when the idea of the force as a, as a, as a spiritual concept, as a metaphysical concept kind of really came alive for me uh, on Dagobah. Feels good. Feels good to hear you talk about that. I like that. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> Or something. Hey, Star Wars friends, it's Josh, your favorite Star Wars friend and the resident John Williams One Percenter. Do you want to be a John Williams One Percenter like me? Well, here's a piece of John Williams trivia to help you push up your glasses at the other 99%. Did you know that John Williams has 52 Academy Award nominations in his career to date? The only other person with more nominations is some guy named Walter Disney? Never heard of the guy. Make sure to stay on target and listen to the Star Wars Friends podcast every week for more John Williams content. Hi, this is Kevin Kiner, composer for Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. I'm happy to be a Star Wars friend. Looking for fun and excitement without having to join the First Order or Resistance? Come join your Star Wars friends and experience the fun and excitement at Canto Bight Hotel and Casino located on the beautiful planet of Cantonica. Our state-of-the-art facility offers a beautiful Fathia racetrack, all the newest hollow tables, and the finest libations and cuisine across the galaxy. Enjoy top-notch entertainment nightly such as Figrin Dan and the Modal Nodes, the Max Rebo Band, and Erodia Ventifoli. 
Witness some of the fastest sky racing in the galaxy with first-rate pilots Hype Phazon. Hype Phazon is in the building. Tora Doza. Where's my cute little furball? Freya Fenris and Griff Halloran. Okay, I still don't get why we all had to come along. Just listen to some of our happy guests. Oi, Misa love Canto Bite Hotel and Casino. Misa win muy muy credits. Whether you're here for relaxation or excitement, the Canto Bite Hotel and Casino can provide whatever you desire. There is so much to do here. Odds are, you'll have the time of your life. Maybe. Gambling problem? Reach out by Holland to the New Republic Gambling Addiction Hotline. The number is 800-IMI-NDBT. The number again is 800-IMI-NDBT. One more time, the number is 800-IMI-NDBT. This advertisement has been brought to you by the Starbucks Friends. Please handle responsibly. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Star Wars Friends Podcast. Subscribe to the Star Wars Friends for weekly episodes featuring the latest news, in-depth analysis, fan questions, and conversation on all things Star Wars. If you're enjoying the Star Wars Friends, please leave us a review on whatever podcast app you're listening on. And make it a great one. Now, back to the Star Wars Friends. I'm going to put you on the spot again. I'm going to put you on the spot again. <laughs> Who is your favorite Star Wars character? Um... I like Lando, and I like Admiral huh. Akbar. Um, huh. You know, I mean, oh. I, 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 I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the like the 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 obvious ones. I'm taking the obvious four: Luke, Leia, uh, Han, and Vader, kind of out of it because it's yeah. almost too easy. And I like to think of like the secondary ones. And I always thought Lando was kind of this fascinating uh, version of you know another, another kind of roguish version of uh, Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Um, who you know has his own nice little kind of mini redemption arc. You know, he's and, and he and he's so charming and full of full of shit. Like you got to love the guy, right? Yeah. And he's so and, and, and he's so, you know it's so much fun. Like, like Billy D. Williams just plays him so brilliantly, and just that swagger, that confidence that he has is. And, and then you see the kind of the conflict in him when he realizes sold out his friends and he comes good at the end. Like he just has this great little arc, even though he's only really in like the third act of the film. They do a lot with that character. And then, you know, he gets to do a lot of fun stuff in Jedi as well. It's actually one of my favorite line deliveries. It's not definitely my favorite line, but it's my favorite line delivery in Return of the Jedi when um, uh, Lando says, we've got to be get some kind of reading on that shield up or down. And then he says, well, how can they be jamming us if they don't know hmm. if we're coming? And you can yeah, see the penny drop. Yeah. It's like, oh, shit, he realizes. <laughs> it's so beautifully done. And it's so well acted. Um, that just in those, just in those moments, you're like, oh yeah, that was like, th- those are the moments that, you know, that I remember when I go back to Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love it, love it. So nice. We, you just took us on your journey and what kind of planted the the seeds to who you became as a creative. And after you know you're you're going through this, you get involved with video games. To I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You got involved with the video game scene, PC gamer. Um, you turned towards writing about video games, and then it, I believe it just went into full blown writing video games. And you had this this whole career there. Um, so on the video game, and and one of my friends, Sean, who found out when I was when I had the opportunity to speak with you, he was like, "Dude, he, he does this thing on Animal Crossing," and it's like he was. <laughs> He was so stoked. He had to just make a special call just to tell me about that. I don't play Animal Crossing, but um, you're doing all of these these video games. And I'm curious, you know, Star Wars has a rich history of video games. What, what's your favorite Star Wars video game? 
Um, so yeah, I mean, so generally, yeah, you're right. I, I, I grew up loving, uh, I was very nerdy, but like the two things that I kind of expressed my nerdiness, uh, uh, through were video games and, and movies. Those are the two things that I loved. And I always knew that I wanted to, uh, do one of them professionally. Never, I never imagined that I'd be so lucky that I'd get to do both. That's been like the greatest blessing in my life that I've got to take both of the careers. I'm sorry, both of the hobbies that I had as a kid was loving video games and loving movies. And, and I've got to pursue them both professionally i had this wonderful career in the video game world and, and now i do the film stuff and the screenwriting stuff but i'm still very much involved um in video games as a narrative consultant i do a lot of video game podcasting and i still play all the games um in terms of the star wars games it's funny i was talking about someone talking to someone about this earlier today when we talk about that period that you just identified earlier in the conversation about like so after like between basically 83 and what would it have been like ninety seven when mm-hmm. the when uh, the prequels kind of like basically fourteen fifteen years where Star Wars cinematically was kind of laying fallow right those were kind mm-hmm. of the, the the dry uh, the, the 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 wilderness years and there were there were books and there were comics and there were other things coming out in the expanded uh, universe but I think the one thing that doesn't get enough credit for kind of keeping us going uh, during that period is the video games you have to mm-hmm. for like for that whole period yeah. in the in the period and there were many great ones. You know, whether it be Knights of the Old Republic or X-Wing, TIE Fighter, Dark Forces, uh, there were so many great games uh, that that was for a good period, like a decade and a half, the only way you could experience like Star Wars on a screen with the music yeah. and, you know, mm-hmm. li- and, and acting and characters and storytelling like actually happening on a screen in front of you. Um, and, but it wasn't just that they were like, oh, well, there's no movie, so this will have to do. Like they were really good in their own right, like Knights of the Old Republic still to me oh, has yeah. some of the best star wars storytelling that's ever been done it's fantastic yeah um and mm-hmm. so i really really enjoyed those uh games a lot and um uh i, st- <laughs> I still remember when i was editor-in-chief of pc gamer star wars uh, uh pod racer i guess it's just called racer uh we, we always called it pod <laughs> yeah. racer came into the office and like that's a really good game it still holds up today they just re-released it uh, we used to have cash money races in the PC gamer office, like playing on pot, playing uh, <laughs> uh, pod racer. It's um, there's, there's there's not enough love out there for that Star Wars racer game. I got I to get back into it now. It's been re released. Um, so yeah, I you know as someone who comes from a from a video game background, I often think that when we talk about all the different you know the vast you know vistas of the Star Wars universe, of course we think about film. Now we think about television. We think about books, you know, many the many great Star Wars books. We think about all the comics. There's so much out there. We think about the radio stuff, um, but I don't think we talk enough about the video games. I don't think they they yeah. they, they, they they are they are a pillar of of Star Wars storytelling as much as anything else mm-hmm. is. And I don't think we talk enough about play. Just the as I said earlier, the stories that you make up on your own yeah. when you're kind of like mashing the action figures together. I think that to me is all part of it. Mm-hmm. So have you? I mean, do you have any? inkling or desire to craft your own star wars video game story i mean is there is there an era that you would want to tell the story for that you would think would i mean you are a video game expert my like once again my dude sean is like looks up to you he's like (laughs) oh dude he was so geeked out but is there an era that you would want to explore and if so what format would you want to see it explored i mean it's funny they asked me that at at lucasfilm when i they when i uh, first had my meeting with them that was all very secretive and i didn't even know why i was there but they asked me a bunch of really vague questions one of them was like what is the area of star wars that like interests you the most in terms of you know the the universe and the the mythology and the lore and everything and i and i and i and i guess this covers almost all of it but like i said i really really like the kind of the you know the the military side of the you know the rebellion versus the empire 
Mm-hmm. But I also really, really like the, the spirituality and the mysticism of the Jedi. And I would love to kind of get more into that. And again, it goes back to, um, you know, Yoda's wisdom on Dagobah, kind of planting those seeds and thinking about it a lot. Um, and, you know, they've, they, and, and so they, they obviously decided that one of those was, was a, an appropriate fit for me. And that's why I ended up doing Rogue One, which obviously is heavily, you know, leans heavily in. There's almost no, there's tiny little bits of it, but there's not really any Jedi mysticism in that mm-hmm. movie. There's no, you know, there's one lightsaber. The original plan was there's never going to be a lightsaber in the whole movie. There ended up being one at the end. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the idea was that it, it, you, you can't shoehorn it in there because it's a part of the, you know, the, the movie uh, uh, inhabits a part of the Star Wars timeline where there are no Jedi, right? They're all gone. Their fire has mm-hmm. gone out of the universe. Mm-hmm. And so I think in the end, you know, the movie, this is stuff that got added on by Chris White's after me, but like all the Temple of the Wills and that stuff, I thought was a really uh, a really great way to kind of um, honor the, the the legacy of the Jedi without, you know, even though we couldn't really kind of have them in the movie because it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't kind of chronologically um, uh, appropriate in terms of a video game i really don't know like it's not the business doesn't work in such a way that i would have like a st- idea for a star wars video game and go to lucasfilm and pitch it sure what usually happens is there's a you know, they're developing a video game and this could be star wars or it could be anywhere like they're developing a video game and they need a writer to come help them with it. oh okay so mm-hmm. it would be like oh hey we're developing a, we're developing like fallen order 2 or something you know would, yeah. would you mm-hmm. want to come and help us out with that i'd be like you know i would I, i'm sure i would say yes um, that, that's not a scoop or anything like that. <laughs> listen, listen, I have to be so careful yeah. because yeah. when I when I first started on um, uh, Star Wars at Lucasfilm, they 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 sat me down and said, "Just be aware that anything you say on social media, anything you say on a podcast, it's like your word. It's like imagine you're like the president of the United States. Like anything sure. you say has the has the potential to make news." And that ended up being true. I'm very active on social media, but I have to be very, very careful about what I say because there have, I've said many things over the years about Star Wars that are fairly innocuous. But when, but when I see the interview come out, they've turned it into some kind of clickbait headline. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I now I have to be really, really guarded and careful about what I say because I mean I know you 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 people wouldn't do it because you seem you know very decent. Mm-hmm. But I but that, I, I, another like more nefarious podcast would turn this into. You know, Gary Widow wants to work on Fallen Order Two or something. Yeah, like yeah, no, really, yeah. it was just kind it's of. So a, just, I just mentioned it as like a those. like an example of like that's how it would happen. Yeah, um, and in fact, and in fact, that's generally true. Like you know, across the board, like Lucasfilm and most studios generate all their ideas um, internally. It's not like like I didn't bring them the idea for Rogue One. They had the idea for Rogue One but they needed to plug a rider into it to develop it more fully. And that's how mm, yeah. um, I got involved. But mo- most of that stuff at Lucasfilm and at most studios is generated uh, internally. Like the, the, fir- the first like seed is planted uh, by the story group people inside. And then they figure out, you know, they bring it outside people that they think are an appropriate creative fit to help, you know, flesh it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. you you've mentioned and touched on rogue one and, and obviously you are one of the architects of rogue one, which is, uh, Probably, I mean, right now with this controversial Star Wars is and divisive and all this stuff that we tend not to get into. Rogue One is, I believe, probably the most beloved Star Wars film. I mean, it's really universally <laughs> beloved film that uh, that the entire saga has. I mean, it really is. And you know, you you've already alluded to a lot of the the I guess the the beginning stages of this, how you were approached for this, but over time. You know, how have, how have, I guess, maybe reflect on your creative input on it and how it panned out? Like, you know, do you look back on it? Are there things that you just absolutely love, knocked out of the park? Are there things that you kind of would have been like, ah, 
you know, once again, don't want to put you on the spot or, or have yeah. any controversial takes on this, but you know, have you reflected on this as you, as you've had years now to digest this story? I, I mean, I, I would take issue. I mean, I know some people really do think this, but I think if you like, if you do a ranking of like all, what is it? 11 star Wars feature films um, that yeah. have been made so far. Mm-hmm. You, you, Rogue one is like, usually close to the top which is incredible that's amazing yeah. Yeah. it's more than we ever could have hoped for i think when you look at just the disney era ones it often is at the very top which also is incredible yeah. um and that's not to take anything away from the other films some of which i i like quite a lot um so. but um you know maybe maybe it's because it does you know it, again it's it's part of that original trilogy era so it carries a little mm-hmm. bit of nostalgia and we were able to kind of like you know, pluck pluck the nostalgic heartstrings a little bit in the way that you know references the original movie because it's so you know closely connected to it narratively um in terms of like my you know and I, I always say this um my contribution to the movie is you know is is just one of many 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 you know hundreds of people right. make the film right the film had you know many uh, uh writers four of which uh you know got credit you know me john uh chris and tony and we all you know made our own contribution and i often analogize it to like a relay race like john ran the first leg in coming up with you know the idea for the movie i ran the second leg in you know developing it and fleshing it out and adding characters and writing the first draft of the script chris then you know then you hand you kind of get to a point where you're like oh i'm exhausted i can't run anymore i'm all out of Mm -hmm. ideas you hand the baton off to chris whites who you know added all this amazing stuff like in like you know bays and uh, bodie and and cheer and the temple of the wills and all that stuff he added on and then uh, Tony Gilroy, you know, kind of got it over the finish line with the final editions uh, that he made. So, you know, it's I, I always really go out of my way to like not like, take too much credit for it because I'm very much aware of, of everything I did sure. and didn't do on that movie. But I am really proud of the things that I did contribute. Um, like, you know, the, the the whole idea that the floor in the Death Star was a deliberate act of sabotage was me. Um, and I always thought that was really I, I, that's like the thing that I'm most. Uh, proud of. I kind of got tired of everyone on the internet saying, "Oh, if the Empire is so smart, how'd they miss this design flaw?" I'm like, "Okay, well, I'll explain. I'll, I'll explain to you how you how they missed it. It was put there." And I always liked this idea that it wasn't just. You know, we talked about this a lot. I remember John was saying, "Well, in any you know sufficiently uh, uh, complicated engineering project, there, there are going to be natural flaws." Yeah. And I'm like, "Sure, that's that's cool, but that's not as dramatically interesting as the idea that someone put it there." deliberately. Right. Um. And I always liked the idea, and that and this tie this keyed into like obviously the whole. Uh, genesis of the story and it goes back again to return of the jedi uh the idea that you know the, the obviously star wars is a family saga right and at the end of return of the jedi uh anakin uh you know the jedi returns uh, as the title promises and says to luke skywalker you know i'm back you were right and you know you, you you've redeemed me and it's all good that's the end of the story uh we wanted to kind of have that family saga vibe in rogue one but we wanted to kind of put it at the you know, at the beginning of the story the idea that I love the idea that Jin kind of basically has to kind of wash away the sins of the father, you know, that Galen against his will gets press ganged, essentially gets coerced into building this terrible, terrible weapon. Yeah. Um, but doesn't, doesn't want to do it. Like he's a good man underneath. And so as a deliberate act of sabotage and indeed rebellion, and because he's smarter than any of them engineers, a deliberate mm-hmm. flaw, like a, you know, a back door, a weak spot that like, if he can just communicate to the rebels how to exploit it, they can blow this thing up. And of course, because it's a movie, it, it, it narratively falls to his own daughter to then kind of, you know, he can only take it so far. She has to go the rest of the way. But I always, I always thought that that made, like, I just, we, everyone kind of loved that idea, you know, the minute it was pitched in the room, the idea, oh, wow, what if, what if it's there for a, what if there's actually like a dramatic emotion, emotional reason that's based in character and the spirit of rebellion, why that flaw is there? I always really liked that 
And then the other thing I'm really proud of is Vader on Mustafar. Um, yes. Gareth always, and, oh, and, and, and Saw Gerrera is the other one as well that I can talk about separately, but um, Gareth always, a lot of this came from our conversation, my initial conversation with Gareth. Like I was employee number one on Rogue One and Gareth was employee number two. He was hired like almost immediately after me or like around uh, roughly around the same time. Uh, and for a long time, it was really just the two of us sitting around just talking about what kind of story we, want, we wanted to tell. Um, and it, we were just talking about like our favorite Star Wars moments and what are, what are the things that we wanted to try to kind of riff on and, and, and take that energy that we like so much and how do we present that in a new way? And one of Gareth's favorite shots in Empire is um, uh, when uh, the, I forget the name of the character, but the Imperial officer walks into Vader's chamber right as the helmet's going on. Mm-hmm. And just for a second there, you catch like the, the briefest glimpse of the back of his, you know, yes. gnarly head. And like, oh, yes. just a little glimpse of what he, because everyone, of course, wants to know what he looks like under the helmet. Return of the Jedi eventually pays that off. But just, just seeing the back of his head for a second is like, oh my God, what is even under there? Like, it's so, it's such a great example of like by showing a little, you spark mm-hmm. the imagination a lot. You know, just that oh, yeah. one shot was just enough to get you really thinking. And Gareth always loved that idea. It's like, well, yeah, he loved that shot. So, well, how can we do like take that and like make even more of it? And so I worked with it a while, for a while and came up with this idea that Vader's body, as we know from Revenge of the Sith, was like so utterly, utterly destroyed uh, from that battle on Mustafar. That I, I just kind of pitched this idea that like he's so wrecked under there that that machine, you know, that you know, and we know again from like that, that helmet and that mask and that suit is not just armor; it's keeping him alive because right. he's barely yeah. able. To, it's basically a life support system that he's walking around in. And I pitched this idea as well. What if, like, every now and again, he has to take all the armor off and, like, go into a back to bath and kind of regenerate and heal? Like, like once a month or whatever, he has to kind of yeah. go do that just mm-hmm. to kind of heal himself. And then he can go back in the armor. Because I really liked the idea of, and you see it in the concept art and you see it in the finished film, of just seeing this image of it almost looks like a, like a fetus in a jar, like this right. weird, like, you mm-hmm. can see he's got no arms and legs. It's just this awful thing. And, the idea was like you were meant to almost like feel sorry for him. It's like, oh, wow, yeah, just don't forget, like once you take all the armor off, there's virtually nothing of him under there. Like there's just this, there's no arms or legs. Like he's so burned up and broken. He's so like emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, physically just ruined that, that I thought it was just a really nice moment to kind of like just see a glimpse of that, to see him floating in the tank. Yeah. And then the whole idea was like putting it back on Mustafa felt right. Um, and, and the, the movie doesn't really express this, although it's what I, what I intended. And I, and I love the idea that you can kind of like get there on your own. If you think about it is that there's a, it, it's there, it, it's on Mustafar for a reason. Like that's the place where Anakin Skywalker died and Darth Vader was born. Right. And I, th- and, and as we know from return of the Jedi, which takes place after rogue one, Anakin's still alive in there somewhere, right? We know he is because he comes back at the end. He's not dead. He's just buried under this monster that Darth Vader, uh, has become. And I just like this idea that like he deliberately goes back there, not just to mend himself physically, but to just kind of like reflect on like mm-hmm. what the hell happened to me. You know what I mean? Like yeah. where, like who am I? Who even am I anymore? That there is this kind of, there is this conflict because Luke senses it, right? I can sense the conflict within you, that it's always been there for years. That the, the, the Anakin is like, like somewhere under there, the good man is still trying to get out. And the idea that he would go to Mustafar to kind of, look out across that lake of fire, like the basically look out across his own funeral site, like the place where he died right. and think, wow, what, whatever became of me. Um, I just thought it was like a really uh, cool idea. And so yeah, Vader and Mustafa, when they made the Lego set of like Vader's mm-hmm. castle, I was like, Oh my <laughs> yeah, God, that, that's yeah. the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, my, my the, I've got to point like the three, my three contributions to Rogue One that I'm the most proud of would be like the, 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 the Death Star floor, all the Vader and Mustafa stuff. 
and then Guer- and Guerrero's. I didn't come up with Guerrero's, you know, that like was George's right. creation, but mm-hmm. uh, that was another one where Gareth would sit around, and sometimes we would sit around with Kiri Hart, who at the time ran Lucasfilm's story group. And Gareth was really, really interested in shades of gray. And he would often say, uh, I don't want to just do white hats and black hats. Like, I want to show that there are good guys in the Empire and there are bad guys in the Rebellion. And, you know, Galen's a perfect example, right? Technically works for the Empire, but you know he's a good guy underneath. And there are plenty of people inside the Empire who are kind of morally conflicted over what the Empire is doing, especially yeah. when they realize that they're mm-hmm. building this planet-killing weapon. Like, I didn't sign up for this. You know, that was like, join the Empire and see the galaxy. I didn't know we were going to be blowing up planets. Uh, and that was, that's obviously like too, too far for many of them. The idea that, 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 that Galen was able to kind of foment this little mini rebellion and get, get the, uh, you know, build the, the, the floor into the Death Star and get the plans uh, out to the rebellion was like a big part of that. And then on the other side, um, which I thought was just as interesting, was the idea that there are re- rebels who uh, have gone too far. And the idea that Saw Guerrero was originally kind of a rebel leader who, just had a different attitude towards prosecuting the war and saying, look, you can't play. If you, if you go around playing by the rules, the empire is just going to beat you every time. Like they, they, they have more manpower. They have more resources, right. they have infinite resources. Like they're chasing us around the galaxy. The only way we're ever going to win this is if we're like willing to like really fight dirty. And I don't think that Mon Mothma and Dodonna and the other like very kind of pious and upstanding right. members of the rebellion ever wanted that. So, you know, they kick Guerrero out. He's like, fine. I'll just go set up my own splinter faction. But he's mm-hmm. obviously ex- extremist and militant. And has kind of crossed the line from like a freedom fighter to a terrorist and, you know, has actually become kind of a PR headache for the rebellion because, you know, he's going around doing stuff that they haven't sanctioned, but which gives them a bad name. Like he blows up some civilian convoy and the, re- the rebels get blamed for it, even though it's Guerrero's right. splinter faction doing it. And, and, and it all came from Gareth saying, well, I want Colonel Kurtz. Like he wanted, mm. he wanted to have a section of the movie where we literally kind of go up river looking for Colonel Kurtz and his like band of like super militant uh, rebels. And that was, that was the version of it that we had for a while. Um, and it ended up, you know, kind of where he is on Jeddah, not terribly different, but you know, some elements mm-hmm. got kind of remixed. Um, and Kiri said, Oh, well, you know, we actually have a story character like that, that George created. Uh, and, and we went and checked out the clone wars episodes and we saw young Saw Guerrero and figured out, Oh wow. Like this many years later, he'd kind of be Forrest Whitaker's age. Wouldn't that be awesome? And we yeah. got Forrest Whitaker and, um, I just thought he was a fascinating character and I thought there was like a fascinating dialogue and we got to, we got to get into it. Uh, there was an episode of Rebels that I wrote subsequently to that called In the Name of the Rebellion where you finally got to see kind yeah. of Saw Gerrera and Mon Mothma kind of basically arguing, debating like the, the different um, ways of fighting. The, you know, Mon Mothma is very upstanding. It's like, you know, the Empire will do these terrible things but we won't do them. Mm-hmm. And Guerrero's like, but you have to if you want to win. That's why they're going to beat you every time. It was one of my favorite lines that I wrote for Saw when he said, like, you know, years from now, or however long it is from now, when there's, you know, imperial flags flying all over the galaxy and you've lost, I hope you will get some, I hope you'll find some comfort in knowing that at least you played by the rules, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, that's, you know, it's not <laughs> yes. going to get you anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, kind of, you know, it's kind of like the, you know, they go low, they, they go low, we go high. Yeah, how'd that work out? You know, it's, um, it's, right. uh, it's, 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 it's a fascinating area for kind of moral and philosophical debate, like, uh, if if you're you know do the ends always justify the means and if you're fighting for a greater good does that mean that you can that it's okay to sometimes do terrible things if they're in the name of something good there's a brilliant brilliant scene I, this is not mine it got added in reshoots but that opening scene with uh, Diego Luna's character when he meets the kind of rebel informant in that back alley yeah. and the, and the empire is coming and like the only way he's going to get out of this alley is if he kills this guy who's on his side but he has to do it otherwise the whole thing's over. Um, and all this crucial intelligence about this planet killing weapons, not going to get back to the reason, got to kill him. 
and he has to make that impossible choice. And it's a beautiful piece of uh, acting from Diego Luna. He kills the guy, and yeah. you know, right afterwards, you just see like he just he just recognizes he's just lost another piece of his soul. Like that's the real cost of of fighting this war is that he's like making or increasingly making these kind of moral compromises and just telling himself it'll all be worth it in the end because we've got to fight this greater evil. And I, I just think that's like really really fascinating kind of narrative. Uh, territory, and I'm glad that Rogue One got to explore that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was I was actually going to ask about in the name of the rebellion, and then you happened to bring it up. You beat me to the punch a little bit, <laughs> but uh, Saw Gerrera does not show up in Rebels, but I think maybe three episodes or four. It's very sparse, and you you wrote one of those episodes. Is that because um, you're like the Saw Gerrera expert now? You wanted well, to inform so, I mean, that? So much- like, how did it, is that just a coincidence? No, I mean, it, 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 it just made sense because I had come. So basically, after Rogue One, after I was done with Rogue One, Lucasfilm liked me enough that they asked me if I wanted to stick around and do more work in that universe. And I'd got to know Dave Filoni a little bit from work. His office was like right down the hall from mine. And I got to know Dave and he became like my favorite person. At Lucasfilm, I don't know if you've ever had him on the show or spoken to him or met him, but he's like just the nicest. Love to. <laughs> he's just the we nicest never. guy in the unit. Like he's not—he's not just like a he, the, Dave. I think is like the last mm-hmm. true conduit of like because he's the last. He's like George's last remaining Padawan. Like he like was in the room <laughs> yeah. with George all the time during the Clone Wars stuff, like learning from the master directly in terms of what are the, what are the true values of Star Wars? Like what does Star Wars really mean as the creator? Um, uh, as the maker you know, to seize them like you know like the true spirit of star wars i kind of feel like feloni is, is more than anyone else he's the guy that understands that the best because he learned and worked so closely directly with george for the longest time and i have tremendous respect for that and when dave you know when i would sit around in the rebels uh, room and and a writer's room and listen to dave it's like you just listen and learn everything you can because you can kind of hear mm-hmm. george talking through him and but yeah but he also has his own mind and his own uh, opinions and he's brilliant but he's also just like the nicest, funniest, like just like most avuncular. He's just, he's just a pleasure to be around, Dave. I, I love him to bits. He's definitely my, my favorite person that I, um, outside of the core Rogue One team, like Gareth and those guys, just like my favorite person at, at Lucasfilm that uh, I got to meet. And I'm so glad that he's gone on, to have, gone on to have all this success with The Mandalorian because he totally deserves it and has earned it. Um, and it's no surprise to me at all to see how, how good that show has turned out to be because I know how smart uh, Dave is and how well he just fundamentally understands uh, Star Wars. Um, I worked on Star. I worked on Rebels for two seasons and wrote four episodes. I can't remember four or five episodes. I can't remember. Um, and the way it works is kind of like you know you you all break the stories communally as a group, and then if there's one that you particularly want to write, you kind of get to like throw your hat in the ring and say I would like to do that one. Or you know some people mm. are me, some writers kind of just have more of an affinity for like you know the Rebels versus the Empire. Some have more of an affinity for um, uh, you know the Jedi stuff, you know the Kanan and Ezra stuff. Some really, really love, you know, the man, you know the, you know the the Bad Batch and the the, the clones and the Mandalorians and that kind of stuff. And and depending on like what where your you know where your passion is, you generally kind of that's what you end up uh, doing. I uh, uh, did the Antil- the Wedge episode because I just love Wedge. He's a cool character. And then when the Rebellion stuff came out, it just kind of made sense. Like I had written that character before right. I came. Um, you know, with a, with with some institutional knowledge of having worked on Rogue One, it just it, and I said like, I would love to, you know, I I, I really want to have that. Com- I really want Guerrero and Mon Mothma to have that conversation that they never got to have in Rogue One because you know in the story they never meet. Right. But like, I I want I want to mm-hmm. see those two sides of the rebellion 
those two very different attitudes to like how you win this war against the empire actually debate it. And, you know, we obviously did it via a hologram because they can't be in the same room. Um, but, you know, Mon Mothma is the very kind of upstanding, like we're going to fight this war the right way and we're going we're gonna to win it, you know, according to, on our terms. And Guerrero is saying like, you know, that's naive. You just, you've, you've, got, to, you've got to get your hands dirty. You've got to get bloody because otherwise you're going to lose. Um, I, I'm so glad that I got to write that conversation because I think, again, just, just to ha- let them have it out. I thought it was really, really, like they're both kind of disgusted by one another. Like Guerrero thinks right. Mon Mothma is just terribly mm-hmm. naive. And is leading the rebellions to ruin because she doesn't have the, like the guts to do what is necessary, um, and 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 um, I think Mamma is disgusted by Saw because you know it's like, he's he has no moral center, mm-hmm. right? It's just like well, right, you, right. I think she sees him as like just as bad as the Empire essentially. Um, like yeah, if we like okay, so the we we defeat the Empire, but then what? You're the boss. Like that's not going to be much better either because uh, you're a lunatic. Um, that all that stuff, all that stuff is really, it's just, that's just, it's just really good character stuff. Like characters who mm-hmm. want the same thing, but can't agree on how to go about it is just, you know, that's just yeah, really fertile territory for good, good character conflict. And they're both a hundred percent sure they're right. Of course. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and they both kind of are in the end, it ends up being yeah. a combination of, of, of both that wins it. Right. As ultimately kind of Mon Mothma. Who and and Leia, you know the kind of the you know the the uh, um, uh, the lawful good, uh, you know character alignment that ends up doing it. But you know, so I guess Guerrero's chaotic good, I suppose, would be the way to do yeah. it, right? Yeah, um, he's almost neutral. The 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 the, 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 the truth tr- 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 is, it takes a little bit of both, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. No, no one hates no one hates the Empire more than Saw Guerrero, right? No one hates right. him, more, and that's the problem. Like it's so personal for him that mm-hmm. it becomes a problem. Right. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of of kind of showing a little bit and talking about some of these characters, right? Through Rogue One, we get little snippets of, um, you know, we get a mention of Hera uh, in there. We get a, right. a lovely little cameo of Chopper in there. Um, but ideally, at the end of the movie, we get to this brief, brief scene of a young Leia, mm-hmm. right on 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 the Tantive Four, and you know, she delivers this line of hope, but. For me, I was just kind of curious because um, I know in interviews that she had done before her passing, she had said she had an opportunity to see the scene with her, you know, CGI right. kind of younger self with the the stand-in actress. And she said she loved it. And I was just curious, it, you as the writer, when you were doing this and setting this up, did you have an opportunity to meet with Carrie and talk with her? And what was your experience like with her uh, during that process? No, I mean, my, my, you know, everyone was very kind of compartmentalized and, and siloed, you know, like uh, Force Awakens or what was just called Episode 7 or Avco at the time was like deep in production when we were just gearing up. And so they were like, they, they were on a completely separate track. Um, and honestly, stuff like you know, meeting with Carrie Fisher, honestly, as a writer, that's above my pay grade. Like Gareth would have, <laughs> had it been necessary, Gareth or Kathy or someone like that would have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I did, I did hear uh, whether or not it's true, I don't know. But I did hear after the fact that yeah, when they showed her that footage, she, she was like, "Where? I, I don't remember shooting this. Where did you get this?" And they're like, "Oh no, here's how we did it." And she's like, "Oh wow, yeah." Um, and it is, it is, it is pretty amazing. And all those little grace notes um, and callback. You know, you always try to like to not do those too obvious. Like you can't, you can't like nudge mm-hmm. Hey, remember this, remember this too many times because it gets old. So you really have to like pick your moments where you feel like it's best expressed. Um, and so, you know, the, um, you know, the moment where you bump into a uh, Warris guy and um, I'm going to forget the, what's the name of the guy, mm-hmm. Dr. Evazan on, um, yes. on Jeddah, just, you know, people go, Ooh, yes. the really, the really fun <laughs> thing about watching the movie at the premiere is because, you know, they invite like the 501st and the rebel legion and all those guys, 
and they and you know they come and because they want it to be like a big party and they're all in full costume mandalorian mercs and all these guys are there and depending on like who reacts you can kind of tell like how deep the reference is so like when vader shows up everyone goes ooh, because everyone knows darth vader right yeah. but when chopper rolls by there's like eight people in the back going yeah and it's only that only they recognize it or you know general sandula and stuff like mm-hmm. that or they see the ghost like i think two yeah. people mm-hmm. saw the ghost yes. but it's like you know yeah. there's things in there that i didn't even spot um but yeah but certainly at the end of the movie like that to me is the biggest chill that i got when i first saw the finished version of the movie is that moment in those final moments where you realize oh shit i'm watching the, i'm now watching the beginning of a new yeah home. yeah and you know the music cues start to come in and you recognize that hallway and you know antilles and leia and all that kind of stuff it's just it's just magical i'm so i feel like they kind of really stuck the landing in terms of you know that final shot leading you into the next movie this is Delilah S. Dawson, your Star Wars friend, and you are listening to the Star Wars Friends Podcast. You're in the arms of the angel, may you find some comfort here. Hi. I'm Kyle. Will you be an angel for a helpless baby Yoda? Every day, baby Yoda is chased by bounty hunters and abused by scout troopers, and he's crying out for help. Please click the subscribe button on your screen and join the Star Wars friends with a monthly gift right now. For only 60 calamari flan a month, you'll help rescue baby Yoda from their abusers and provide food, shelter, Jedi training, and Beskar armor. Subscribe now and follow us on Twitter in the next 30 minutes to receive this tweet with a gif of Baby Yoda, who's been given a second chance thanks to you. Baby Yoda needs our help. So please subscribe, rate, and review right away. This is Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, and you are listening to the Star Wars Friends Show. Do not underestimate the power of this podcast. Well, my name is Stephen Ray Morris, and I've been a Star Wars fan my whole life, and I'm happy to call myself a Star Wars friend. I know my thing is Jurassic Park, but I love Star Wars, and I dressed up for Ray for Halloween a couple years ago. So, yeah, enjoy Star Wars, friends. Hey, this is Dominic Pace, who played Gecko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Happy to be your Star Wars friend. You're listening to the Star Wars Friend Show. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Star Wars Friends podcast. Subscribe to the Star Wars Friends for weekly episodes featuring the latest news, in-depth analysis, fan questions, and conversation on all things Star Wars. If you're enjoying the Star Wars Friends, please leave us a review on whatever podcast app you're listening on. And make it a great one. Now, back to the Star Wars friends. 
I was trying to come up with like questions to ask you because I am a huge Rogue One fan. But at the same time, I was like, what can I ask and like not get you into hot water somehow with Star Wars fandom? <laughs> right. right. Um, I'm, I've gotten pretty good at not getting myself into trouble. So yes. go ahead. Um, so what can you tell us about some of the character <laughs> changes that happen? Because I know in one interview, you mentioned that like Cassian had a different name. And then obviously there's the toy holdover with uh, General Urso. Oh, Sergeant Urso. Yeah. Sir, yeah. Sergeant. Yes. Um, not much other than just, here's the thing, this, like I've worked, I've, I've worked in Hollywood for 20 years now and I've worked on a lot of big movies. Star mm-hmm. Wars, obviously the biggest of them, but I've worked on a lot of big budget movies and I'm working on some right now. And one thing that I can tell you is that stuff that, that, you know, you read about like, you know, reshoots and they change this and that yeah. happens on every single movie, every, every single movie. I've, I've never, too, so I've yeah. never written a first draft or even seen a first draft from anyone that that was the movie that they shot. And especially on a movie that has as much, you know, is as culturally visible and where there's frankly as much money on the line, right. um, you know, like the Star Wars and the Marvel movies, like if they succeed or fail, they could, that could move the stock price of the parent company. Like that's right. a they're right. big, big deal movies. It was a $4 billion investment. So, you know, they're very, very conscious that they have to get it right. And these movies have to be as good as they possibly can be. And that means a lot of development. And that means that, you know, things that, that sounded like a good idea on Monday, uh, on Wednesday, you might think, oh, I mean, we've got a better idea. And every single idea and every other voice that gets added to the mix and every change that we make is intended to make the movie better. Like, and, and, and it really puts the lie to the notion that reshoots are somehow like a sign of a movie in trouble or that the movie's, the movie's bad or whatever. Okay. That, that, that shot, that scene at the end in the hallway, the Vader and the lightsaber that mm-hmm. for me is an all, like in the entire canon of Star Wars, that's in the top 10 best scenes in all of Star Wars. It's so good. Everybody, I still remember watching, I got, ne- I never had chills like it watching that scene and people in the audience when he first fired up the lightsaber and starts carving his way <laughs> through those rebels. Yeah. Everyone in the audience was just absolutely just transported. Like, oh my God, I can't mm-hmm. believe what I'm watching. It's magic. Yeah. In, the, in, in the most terrifying way. And that was a reshoot that was added very, very late. And, you know, so it just goes to show that, you know, it's all from, you know, from the, you know, the hundred versions of the story outline that we did to the many, many drafts of the scripts that people wrote all mm-hmm. the way down to, you know, tweaking and reshooting things at the last minute. It's all just part of an effort to try and make the best movie possible. And, you know, Rogue One came out well because they tried so hard to make it as good as they can, which is why I'm very philosophical about there are things that I wrote into my version of the script that aren't in there, but I'm not like, Oh, you know, that bums me out that my, that idea didn't get into the script. They replaced it with something better. So, you know, I'm I'm, I'm just glad that some of the stuff that I did write did, you know, I did a lot of my DNA in that movie. I can go, Oh, that was me. That was me. And I can point to these different things. Um, But I'm also like a lot of the time on Twitter, someone will say, Oh, you know, I love this moment where blah, blah, blah. And I always (laughs) say, thank you, but you should tell that to Chris White's because that's all. Yeah. Um, and it really is. It sounds, you know, it sounds like, you know, just kind of, um, you know, kind of all very kumbaya to say, but it's true. Like these movies are a team effort. There's no way that I could have written a movie by myself as good as the film ended up being. They needed people like Chris to come along and make it better. Um, and you know, as long as they don't throw everything out, you know, I, I'm (laughs) a lot of my DNA. I'm, 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 again, I'm thrilled to, to see my contribution to that movie, uh, you know, there on the screen. I, th- I think the one takeaway I have from from everything that you've just outlined about Rogue One, and, and it just hit me as you were speaking, I think the reason why it resonated with me personally and probably speaking for many Star Wars fans or just, just cinematic fans, cinematic storytelling, you've been able to articulate and develop characters the first time we've ever seen that. 
the just the first glimpse of these folks and you've you've given depth to these folks just listening to you explain galen listening to you ex- explain the dynamics of mon motha versus saw guerrera i think that's what is so crucial to the long i mean really the the love of this film it's i got chills listening to you talk about this this is really yeah and and i and i, and I think that that's i mean that's what i like about rogue one it's a bit you know star wars i think fun i agree with george that fundamentally star wars is for kids and always will be but it's so but the yeah. storytelling is so good and universal that everyone can enjoy it mm-hmm. but they are ultimately first fairy tales for children and you know i remember george saying that back in the day and i still believe it's true today, but you know, some of us, some some of us children are older than others. You know, we're all, um, you know, we we we're, we're still, you know, yeah, we still have a very vibrant inner child, and that's what mm-hmm. responds uh, to those movies. But Rogue One was an opportunity to try and get a little bit more down in the dirt. You know, the the idea of like what you know, what what does the day to day war against the Empire look like at street level, and like what is the human cost with all the espionage and and moral compromise and stuff? It was really really interesting to get into that stuff and try and do something that felt like a bit more. Um, emotionally, uh, dramatically mature than the kind of the, the the fairy tale storytelling of the saga films. Again, not that I mean the saga films are genius and I love them to bits. Um, but it was an opportunity to try and do something like you know just that was the great beauty of the standalone films. They said to us early on, don't feel like you need to kind of copy the tone or the vibe or the feel of the saga films. Like we want these to be different. Um, right. And so that was why we had. The, and that's and it took me a while to kind of get into that uh, mindset. I was like, wow, there's a Star Wars movie with no Jedi in it. There's no lightsabers in this <laughs> film. Like, it's just all this one thing. Um, but as, as I got more comfortable with that, I was like, no, this is going to be really cool. Like, we can take a deep dive into this one, into this one thing. And it was, uh, you know, as you say, I think it worked out really well. That's huge. Yeah. And I think one I, of the things, I think, oh, sorry. I was going to say, well, I think one of the things that you explained really well in the movie without even having to delve too far into it was the wills. The, the whole right. story with the wills with Baze and Shuret. And you understand that there is this other mysticism about what they're trying to do or what Churit believes in uh, through the whole movie that there's not a lot of lines. There's not a lot of explanation behind it, but you understand what what they're what they're believing and what, why they're doing it. Yeah, and, no, and nor should there be. I mean, that's I, and I like mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, in the original trilogy, they really don't explain the force that much. If you if you explain all of it, all the mysticism and all the mystery yeah. goes away. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's like that's 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 why getting that glimpse of star of, of Vader's head under the helmet is more impactful than just showing it right away. Like you want the mystery, you want the the viewers, the audience's imagination to kind of do the work and and fill in mm-hmm. the blanks. And so, like I personally think that over the years we've overexplained the force a little bit. Like just let it be what it is. And um, you know, not not necessarily in the films, which I think I've done always done a good job of holding back. But like in a lot of the expanded uh, literature like they really kind of like tried to dive deep into it but like often the essence of religion and spirituality and and faith is that you you have to just take it on faith and it's not all going to get explained to you and there is going to be mystery and that's part um of the of the magic of it and it's something that you feel and believe in rather than like truly know or understand um and so you know we we, we dealt with a lot of this um uh on rebels i know your your name there is i am the bendu i remember when we when we sat uh with dave and we first came up with the idea of the of the bendu is like this kind of living and there's almost like this living embodiment this physical manifestation of the force who would be like and the i, I remember saying that something like or all of somebody somebody said all of us saying like you know he should be like as inscrutable as possible like nothing he says mm-hmm. should ever really make a lot of sense it's like wait what like he's just gonna let that zen master he's like you figure it out like that's the whole he's like i can open the door for you but only you can walk through it it's like, like if, I explain, if i explain all of this to you like what's the point like you've got to figure mm-hmm. this out 
yep. for yourself and what the force is and your part and and your your the part that you play in it and this the great kind of living tapestry um of the force is like that you have to figure that out for yourself like i can't you know, like a jedi master is not gonna hand that to you on a silver platter it's like you know, I, i'll I'll, yeah. I'll give you the basics but you have to find you have to kind of find find it for yourself mm-hmm. um and writing some of luke's uh for the last jedi writing some of luke's in a monologue where it was kind of where he kind of got to talk a little bit more about um his relationship to the force but again always doing it in a very kind of vague way where you're always kind of like one step away from like fully understanding it to me that's the magic of the force and why uh in cinema and storytelling in general it's never it's never good to explain everything mm-hmm. that you you give right. the audience the elements and hope that their imagination will kind of piece them together in a way that makes sense for them um yeah. you know in, in the original movie right one line from alex guinness it's an energy field surrounded by all living uh, uh, created by all living things it surrounds it penetrates us binds the galaxy together that's it yeah. That's all the world building that they do in that first movie, but that's enough for you to then like take that and run with it. Um, and it's really, really funny how it's like people recently in the more recent movies complaining about, well, that's a new force power. Luke, that's never been established. The first, the first time that Luke pulls a, a lightsaber out of the snow in Hoth, I'm like, okay, that I didn't know he could do that, but now we can. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> like the whole point is that as you is, is, is you discover the force and go on this journey, you learn. Yeah, you know, it's it's a constant voyage of discovery, and you'll never fully understand all of the mysteries of the force. And that's what makes it, you know, kind of sexy and cool is like, you want to fully understand it, but you'll, but you, but it's, but it's too much. You'll never fully like get your head around all the, all the mysteries of it. I think that's great. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been, this was like the one thing I really did want to specifically ask you about. And uh, the book of Eli, which is another movie you wrote is obviously uh has a lot of, uh, you, you know, it's about religion. The book in question is the Christian Bible. And uh, you've mentioned spirituality, I think, four or five times since we've been talking to you. And you said faith. And obviously, there's a lot of religious overtones to um, Star Wars in general. Is that something that typically informs your writing? Is that a coincidence? Uh, no, not really. I remember when I first when I when I first turned in the draft, the first draft of the Book of Eli, my manager was the first to read it. Said like, "When did you become a Christian?" I'm like, "I'm not. I'm an atheist." Um, I could, you oh, know, I, I, I don't believe, I don't believe spirituality in, a lot. I don't believe in vampires, but I could write a movie about them. It wouldn't stop me from doing it. Um, you know, it's I could, you know, I've written movies about aliens and all kinds of wacky stuff, uh-huh. but you don't have to right. believe in it. You just have to think it's something interesting to explore. In the fictional universe of the Book of Eli, God is real. Like it's a, you know, and, and you know, and it's, and it's, you know, when it, it's all true. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean I necessarily believe it. I just thought it was an opportunity for that movie to talk about religion in an interesting way in terms of how it's, it can be both a positive and negative force. You know, Denzel's character recognizes right. all the str- I'm actually quite, I'm, I'm actually quite envious of the people who have spiritual faith. Like that's a part of my life. I feel like people that truly, like, not, not the kind that you see running around these days on, on Fox news, but like actual true, you know, Christians and devout people who, for, for whom it's a, it's a, a source of, of, of sucker and solace and, and, and inner strength. Like it's no, it's no surprise to me that people often find religion and find Christ or whatever, you know, deity that they want to, they want to believe in after something terrible happened in their life, because mm-hmm. nobody wants mm-hmm. to believe that they, that the universe is indifferent and doesn't give a fuck about you, which is what I personally believe that we're all just kind of like cold and alone in the universe. I would rather believe something else. That's why I think Mm -hmm. the force is so compelling. And that's why uh, religion is so compelling because everybody wants to believe that things happen for a reason. And there is a greater um, plan for you, you know, because it's scary to think that everything's random and you're alone. 
Um, and so we kind of invent these mechanisms to, you know, make ourselves uh, feel better. But for the, but the, but for those people who are able to do that and ha- and, and really derive uh, strength um, uh, from spirituality and faith, I'm very envious of those people. I wish I had, I, I wish I had that in my. I don't think I'm capable mm-hmm. of it, but because I'm too much of a rationalist. But I wish, but I wish that I did have it. And that's who Denzel is. And the whole like the whole point was like personal faith versus organized religion. That Denzel is someone who's driven by personal faith, and that is is the kind of the energy that has guided him on this thirty year uh, very difficult, very difficult journey. So I say again, that's sort of how Chiridiwi is too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And it's it, and it's funny because people said to me, "Cheer it!" They're like, "Oh, really? Another blind swordsman?" Talk to Chris White. I would never do the same gag twice. Talk to Chris. Uh, I would, I would never. Seriously, if they had said to me, I said, "I can't do that." I, people are going to say I'm copying myself. Um, but it was it was Chris that came up with it. Um, I, I made yeah, that then, connection, and you you cleared it up earlier in the interview. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and you know, and then and then the other side, it was kind of organized religion, and mm-hmm. um, it's really funny. I remember like after the movie came out, like Glenn Beck like wrote a thing talking about how great he thought the movie was, and I wrote a tweet back at him saying like, "You're the villain in that movie. Do you not get that? Like, yes. you're the bad guy. Like, you're the kind yes. of people that the movie is trying to warn. Like, Carnegie is you." The huckster, yes. you know, the carnival barker, yes. the person that recognizes, mm-hmm. you know, he gives that whole speech about, you know, it's not a book, it's a weapon aimed at the hearts and minds of the weak and the and the helpless or the uh, in the desperate, sorry. And that's how a lot of people view it. That's mm-hmm. I don't want to get too political, mm-hmm. but that's who Trump is. He doesn't believe in any yeah. of that shit. He just sees it as a as a as a as a way to to make people do what he wants them to do. And it's and it's terrifying. And and we see it in our lives every day. And to, to the extent that the book of Eli had any kind of thematic or, um, you know, kind of metatextual merit. It was, it was trying to talk about those ideas that mm-hmm. um, I always remember the, there's the old Alan Ladd movie, Shane, the Western where, where he says uh, a gun is only as good or as bad as the man who wears it. And mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that's what mm-hmm. the Bible is in that movie. It can be a source sure. of uh, tremendous sure. uh, uh, strength, but it can also, you know, tear the world apart as we've mm-hmm. seen. Kind of like um, Rick Grimes. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, Just absolutely, saying. and it and it's and it's weird. It's, uh, people said like, you know, I don't like that. You know, I don't like that you've uh, that you've done this movie about the Bible, but there's so much violence in it. I'm like, you should read the Bible, <laughs> and and you should and you should read some history about how many horrible wars have been fought. You know, defending. You know, go check out the Crusades sometime. Like, yeah, right, you know, right. Uh, it's um, it's it's it, it was a fascinating area of kind of thematic. Uh, discussion for me but the movie was always meant to be very um uh like down the line one of my favorite movies is that uh, is um dead man walking the movie about the death, mm. death penalty mm-hmm. and i'm very very against the death penalty but by the end of the movie it's done such a good job of kind of making really compelling arguments on both sides you come away going oh, i don't know what i think like maybe it's good maybe it's yeah. bad it really it really kind of makes you think in the way that a good movie does um and and the book of eli wasn't meant to be like a polemic and say religion's good or bad it's like Here's like the here's like both arguments. So it can be both mm-hmm. good and bad depending on you know, and it's and it's up for, it's up to you to decide how you if you're going to use this as as a weapon for good or for evil. Um, and I think a lot of people, uh, it's it's really interesting. Anytime that you write about religion, which is something that nobody doesn't have an opinion on, like everyone comes into a discussion. This is why they say like don't talk about like religion and politics, like because everyone's got right. their own view and they're probably not going to change. We're all dug in. Right? When's the yeah. last time? When's the last time you had like a conversation about politics or religion where one of you changed your mind? Like it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and so that movie was like super polarizing because people who were like really um, anti-religion hated it because they thought it was like a Christian polemic. Uh, but but <laughs> faith-based audiences really really loved it because they thought it was speaking to them. 
And again, I had a lot of a lot of MAGA people like it, and that really annoys me because so again, weird. they're the bad guys. They don't get it. They don't get that they're being vilified in that movie. Um, uh, and I got into a whole thing with that recently. It was like a bunch, it's like Trump said something about like the lone warrior, and you know, and somebody used a picture of the Book of Eli and turned it into a meme, and all these it became like a rallying cry for MAGA people. Oh and I no! Had to get involved, like, I'm the writer of that movie. That's terrible. And not what you're supposed <laughs> to think. Like you, you, you've taken the wrong message from that oh, no. entirely. Um, so yeah, it was. I, 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 you, always, you always try to find some some, oh, some thematic. You, you, uh, any, any, if you're going to spend like a year or more of your life like writing a story, you've got to know what you're writing about, like thematic. Like, what is it you're trying to say? Like, why, right. why, why does this have any worth at all beyond just you know two hours eating popcorn? Um, for me, Row One is about the importance of hope and how you and how you often need hope most when there's the least of it around. Um, and and essentially, like at the most basic level, standing up to bullies. It's yeah. a, you know, I was yeah. terribly bullied when mm-hmm. I was in school. And I hated it because I was a nerdy kid and I got pushed around and beaten up and stuff like that. And I've always um, hated bullies. And um, it's, it's a theme in a lot of my writing. And what is Rogue One except other than a movie about, you know, the little guy standing up to a big bully uh, yeah. and ultimately defeating him because they have more, they have more courage and moxie than, than the other guy. Um, and, 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 and again, Eli is kind of a, a you know, again, kind of a tract about, uh, it's, a, it's a conversation about faith. So I always, always try to find like what is the tonal underpinning of what it is that you're writing. Because if you don't have that, if you don't know what you're writing mm-hmm. about, you know, contextually, uh, thematically, mm-hmm. your story is probably not going to stick around in the, in, in, in the imagination. Like, oh, that was a fun movie. But then like, you know, you can go watch like Transformers yeah. or whatever yeah. and enjoy it for the two hour ride. But like right. you'll forget the next yeah. day, but what was that movie you saw again? Because it's not about anything. Right. Um, yeah. but movies that are actually about something and make you think like, I'm still talking about it. Dead Man Walk is a movie I saw once like 15 years ago. Still talking about it now because it really made me think and left an impression on me. But you can only do that if there's something at its foundation that is really like kind of gets under your skin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, I want to make a comment. And Maggie, I know you have, you have, Gary, we have just a few more questions for you. I just want to say out loud that I love Gary Witta. I love Gary. (laughs) You're speaking my language uh, so eloquently. Yeah. I'm enjoying this conversation. Like you're all my, yeah. you're all my people. You know, it's rare, yeah. it's rare to find people that are like, you know, indoctrinated in this stuff that you know you'll get like every super super duper nerdy reference, right? So that's fun for me. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah, you said so much like about Rogue One that like it spoke to me because Rogue One has been a movie that I've gone back to over the last four years for a very specific reason of it gives me hope right. that things might be different tomorrow when we wake up. You know that that's something that I love so much about Rogue One. Was it? Yeah, and we just we just we just got to do it again. You know, uh, I don't know if they've sent you copies of it yet, but we have this Empire Strikes Back certain point of view book coming out. Oh my god! You know, I still don't even have one. Like, (laughs) oh no, uh, I don't. They haven't sent like. I mean, maybe it's in maybe it's in the in the in the in the mail right now. I don't know, but no, I don't. I I mean, they sent me a PDF, but I don't have the finished copy that you have. Um, But that was really fun because that that line about rebellions being built on hope is in my story. Yes, it is. Um, You know, Leia quote, the idea that, you know, aside from the story being called Rogue 2 and that being kind of like a bit, you know, people say to me for a long time, when are you going to do Rogue 2? I was like, okay, I'll do Rogue 2. Any way you think I'm going to do it. Um, I love, as I said, I love Empire and I love Hoth. I always loved the Hoth side of, of Empire and I was really excited to be able to write a story that kind of that got into a little bit of kind of the day-to-day hardships of, of what it was like on echo uh base and again getting to write for for leia and luke uh was really really fun but yeah this big idea that in in the canon of course even though the movies came in a different order in the canon 
Empire happens like what three years after mm-hmm. uh, Rogue mm-hmm. One, and so but and, and it's no secret. Jin Erso is no secret. Like everyone was there, right? They all saw what she did. Like the entire rebellion participated in in that mission to steal the Death Star plan. So everyone knows who Jin Erso and Cassian Andor and you know Bodhi Rook and K two S O were, and every, and what they sacrificed. And so they have really become like you know revered in the annals of like rebel heroism. Um, and that was the whole idea that like the, the the Rogue Squadron and the reason why there's no Rogue One, it goes straight from Rogue Leader to Rogue Two, is that the Rogue One designation has basically been retired. In the same way that you were like when you know, when like Michael Jordan retires, like they kind of lift his number. Yeah, after. yeah. No one gets mm-hmm. to be number twenty three again. Like no one gets to be Rogue One ever again. And that was kind of the idea of like where Rogue Squadron came from. In reality, it happened backwards. I always thought Rogue Squadron in, in Empire was really cool, and that's how the name Rogue One came about. In the canon, though, it's it's the opposite way around. They name Rogue Squadron after Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Um, but just you know, any any time, I always imagine that. That, that everything that Cassian and Jin did is now looked at, you know, th- through hindsight as like, wow, like if it weren't for them, none of us would be here. And it's true. If it weren't for what Jin and Cassian and, and the heroes of Rogue One did, Star Wars is a very short and depressing series of films <laughs> about the Empire going around blowing up planets until they up every surrender. That's not very fun. Um, and so they all recognize that they owe, they all owe their lives and the rebellion and, 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 the, and the freedom of the galaxy to what this small uh, band of rogues did. And so everything that they said is now like, there's a lot of weight assigned to it. So Leia to this day, like would still say like, you know, re- a great rebel once said rebellions are built on hope. Cause again, they, they now look at someone like Cassian as like a great rebel because of everything, yeah. everything he sacrificed. Yeah. It was a fantastic story. I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was fun to write for Zev and, uh, and again, to kind of just get into the, um, you know, the daily lives of the pilots and, you know, just thinking about, I always remember watching the movie if you look at the production because i went back and looked at it again if you look at the production design those tunnels you can see there's like the lines in the walls where like you can see where the, those tunnels have been carved out yeah. of the ice and the snow like so like you imagine again think about it there's another story to be told right and we get a little bit into it in the story in rogue two where there must have been a point where those ships land in the hoth for their first time they're like shit we've got to we got to carve like 10 miles of caves out of this <laughs> and that takes months and probably a lot of rebels die you know rebel corps yeah. of engineers probably a lot of people die like blasting the guys out. setting up the shield you generator know, outside the shield <laughs> generator <laughs> and, um and all you know all the pipes and the cables like somebody had to lay all of that stuff and that's yeah. not necessarily the most exciting thing to make a movie about but it's fun to talk about like in the backstory of a you know a, a short mm-hmm. story mm-hmm. um there's a, i think there's like a reference in the story like the day they finally got the heating working everyone's like finally you know <laughs> actually warm inside no but it was really really fun to kind of write you know, to write a little bit for luke and uh talking about like the pressure that he must have felt after they you know congratulations you blew up the death star have your own squadron he's like man i was like a kid on a farm <laughs> what a week ago yeah now i have my own x-wing squadron um is is again it's fun to get into get into get into the heads of those those characters i'm really i'm really um that whole book is really good i, re- I haven't read every single one yet but i read a bunch of them and I just, I really, I, I imagine they will. I hope they'll do a third one, but it's just so fun to, and again, it speaks to the vibrancy of the Star Wars franchise that a character that you see in the Mos Eisley Cantina for like one second is like, I want to know more about that guy. Right. Because mm-hmm. every, every right. character is potentially so interesting. It's like Hammerhead, like what's his deal? I want to know more about Hammerhead. <laughs> right. and, so yeah. these, and so we get to go tell the story of those characters and have fun with them. Um, and the, those point of view uh, stories are really, really super fun. They're fantastic. I really hope that for the next, you know, 40 years that all the different Star Wars films will get their own. 
Somebody yeah. said, somebody said to me the other day, oh yeah, like what are you going to do for like in 2057 when they do Rogue One from a certain point of view? I'll be dead. Was that Jason Fry's <laughs> tweet on Twitter when he posted no, like no, oh, brave um, of you to assume we'll all still be here? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe maybe they'll just do. Maybe they should just do it for the 10 year anniversary so we all have a chance. <laughs> right, right. 40 years. I'll be I'll be 88. My goodness, <laughs> you'll still be around. You'll still be kicking. You'll still be writing. Advances in modern medicine. Heck yeah. Yeah, we'll get you a life support suit just like Vader. In fact, telling the story of like you know Chopper on uh, on uh, on um, Yavin. I was there, funnily enough, the day that that happened because Matt Martin, wow. the guy who works at Lucasfilm, got to control mm-hmm. him. They 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 brought over the Chopper that they had built, mm-hmm. and that moment where he trundles across the base, there's in it for like three seconds. Yeah, yep. there the day they shot that, and Matt kind of ran came running over to me with the remote control, going, "I I, I was I just played Chopper in a movie." <laughs> Hello there, Star Wars friends. It's Josh, your favorite Star Wars friend and resident John Williams One Percenter. Do you want to be a John Williams One Percenter like me? Well, here's a piece of John Williams trivia to help you show off your elite status to those around you. Not only has John won countless awards and accolades, Oscars, Grammys, etc., but the apple does not fall too far from the tree either. His son, Joseph Williams is the lead singer of the Grammy Award-winning band, Toto. Make sure to stay on target and listen to the Star Wars Friends podcast every week for more John Williams content. The moonlit wings reflect the stars that guide me towards salvation. I'm Jason Pride. Thanks for listening to Star Wars Friends Podcast. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Star Wars Friends Podcast. Subscribe to the Star Wars Friends for weekly episodes featuring the latest news, in-depth analysis, fan questions, and conversation on all things Star Wars. If you're enjoying the Star Wars Friends, please leave us a review on whatever podcast app you're listening on. And make it a great one! Now, back to the Star Wars Friends. So we we have the Empire Strikes Back point of view book that is available, I believe... November 10th. November 10th. And you alluded to some other projects you're working on earlier. Is there anything you want to talk about before we ask the dreaded final question before the Word Association game? Is there anything you're working on right now? Uh, I, I'm, I'm working on all kinds of stuff. I'm, I'm, unfortunately, the, the nature of the work that I often do is like everything's like NDA'd. Like yeah. mm-hmm. um, there's a, there's a, I, I can tell you this. I do have a project that I'm launching. It's a thing of my own, a sci-fi thing of my own. I'm related to Star Wars that's coming out in January. If I have the opportunity to come back and talk to you like in January, I'll happily kind of promote oh, happily. Yeah. more about anything, yeah. anything Star Wars related. Yeah. All right. Happily. We'll book it. We'll see you in the new year. Loving it. All right. What's this so, dreaded question? All right. Here it comes. <laughs> I was wondering the same thing. Oh, oh, we know it very well. This is he already, far, he already answered it. Earlier. He did already answer it, but did we I? gotta we gotta get do the whole preface. Uh <laughs> this is by far the most controversial question. You're gonna get on the Star Wars oh, Friends yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Okay. For sure. Uh hotbed of <laughs> reactions. We normally get on this. We would like to know, Mr. Gary Witta, how you pronounce the all-terrain armored transport. 
I always said Atat. Is that not correct? Is that? No, it's one hundred percent correct. It's yep. correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have, to, you have to remember. I, I, as far as as far as I'm aware, there is no canonical. Right? No one ever says Atat, right? They just say Imperial Walkers. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, <laughs> I'm what, part of the ATAT you know, crowd. The at right? You say ATST. So, exactly. Right. So we're, well, of which course. is it? <laughs> Naturally. It's, that, uh, that's, that's my argument, is that if we say ATST, why wouldn't we say ATAT? Takes too long. Because at at you can say, but at you can't really say. Right. Thank you. You just did. You can, but it sucks to say it. It sounds like you're stuttering or something. And now, now, of course, in Rogue One, we have at acts or at ATAT. So that was, yeah, that is always a controversial one. And we always get some glory when you're on Team Adat because that's the only one. It's just, I mean, you know, two, you know, we're, we're all, we, we all lead busy lives. Two syllables rather than four. I'll, 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 take, I'll save the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, Gary, we have this word association game that we love to play with our guests. And okay. do, we, we do keep score, even though there are no losers. Um, I just want well. to be clear. This is there are no losers, but this is your classic word association game where I'm going to say a person, place, or thing in the Star Wars galaxy could span legends, could span current canon, could be animated, could be live action. Okay, but it's not going to be super crazy. I believe up to this point, Maggie, when Maggie was actually a guest on the show originally, she had set the record for 28 answers. And who did we just have on the show that did 27? It was one of the hosts from Resistance Broadcast. They did really well. So uh, we have other authors that have done very well on this. Delilah S. Dawson did a. a she, oh, I love Delilah. She's great. She's fantastic. She's fun. I don't understand. How do you rack up like a high score in this game? So, just say it as fast as possible. Like, oh, just, like okay. the first thing that comes to your mind. First thing that comes to your mind. Yeah, yeah. You got to 28 and not 29. Did you run out of time or something? Yeah, yeah there's, there's a time, time limit. Okay. All right. So mm-hmm. you're going to hear this beautiful hokey cantina music here. I'm not going to try to break any records or anything. <laughs> it's okay. And, I'd be honored. To how deep you go, there may be characters that I don't know or, or remember because i like some of the mm-hmm. expanded universe legend stuff. Like I'm not necessarily like an expert on like, every nerdy you, part of it. You can also literally say any word and or Chris will go on to the next <laughs> or, word. Or pass. Yeah. yeah including yeah, pass might be might be a, a good one. Yeah. Like, well, let's give it a try. All Jason right, so Fry you, got hung up because he was giving us like paragraph long answers. Just <laughs> so, you know, so I make to say one word. Yeah, you yeah. say whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever comes to you. Noises. Uh, we've had people make noises, imp- impressions of the whole thing. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. You have let's, one let's, let's see how it goes. One minute, 26 seconds. And I am going to 26 seconds. With no one little, does. Yeah, <laughs> the length of this song here. Here we go. In five, four, three, two, one. Darth Vader. Redeemed. The TIE Reaper. Never heard of it. Asajj Ventress. Cool. Porgs. I can take them or leave them. Death Troopers. <laughs> Very cool. Commander Cody. Eh. Mustafar. Hot. Luke Skywalker. Whiny. Borgullet. <laughs> Sorry, say again? Borgullet. Slithery. Garrett Edwards. Just the nicest guy you'll ever meet in your life. Dave Filoni. 
I, I, can I use the same answer in a row? Other than Gareth, yeah. <laughs> Jay Urso. Um, rebellious. Cobb Vanth. Never heard of him. Disney Plus. Indispensable if you have kids. Yes, R2-D2. Also indispensable if you have kids. <laughs> In Jaren. I'm sorry, say again? In Jaren. Don't know that one. Baby Yoda. Mimi. Chewbacca. Tall. <laughs> he is that. He is tall. the truest answer. The best answers you've ever yeah. had on this show. That's good. He is tall. <laughs> He's very tall. That's so, a great answer on Disney Plus. Yes. And, <laughs> and, 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 I, and, I, and I and I hate to and I hate to have to like flex on this, but like when you actually, and I'll say this because like when you actually stand next to the real Chewbacca, it's only then you realize how super tall he actually is. <laughs> yeah. when you're aware that he's tall in the movies, but when you actually stand next to the guy that's in the suit, it's like, wow, he's really tall. I can't it's intimidatingly tall. I, I got to see Jonas throw out the first pitch at a Cubs game from a distance, and he was massive from like oh, yeah. 400 feet away. Oh yeah, big guy. What were they? So I'm curious. The the two or three names I didn't know. I kind of want to. I kind of want to know who who I didn't know. Yeah, yes, yeah, they were. They were both. Yeah. Oh, they're from Mandalorian. Okay. Cobb Vanth. Cobb Vanth. Uh, the reason why we asked that one, he's real hot right now. So this is the character that <laughs> Timothy Oliphant. He's hot. I mean, oh, he's, he's very hot. <laughs> but yeah, he uh, yeah. he just showed up in the premiere of Mandalorian season two. Cobb Vanth is the marshal from the aftermath trilogy the chuck wendig aftermath trilogy uh fires boba fett's armor so we we get to see the reveal of the boba fett armor and cobb vanth which i mean that story plays out beautifully if you love those books it was a treat to see that we geeked out hardcore my favorite things about the star wars universe as it exists in all these different iterations is how they all kind of cross pollinate one another another like when i heard that saw guerrero was going to be in jedi fallen order i was like that's the coolest thing yeah. Oh, yeah. amazing! And when you see the ghost in Rogue One, you're like, "Oh, that's so cool!" Because yeah, it's all part of the same universe. And again, you never want to do it in a way that's like, "Oh, check this out! You remember this? Remember this?" Like that right. can get too nerdy. You never want to do it for the sake of it. So you really have to like pick the moments. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I, I, I think that's great, and I love the fact that you know, even if it's something from an animated show, or um, you know, even like I like said, like Chuck's books and things like that, isn't it? Um, what's the name of the character? Um, from Battlefront 2, the Javina uh, Gavanka's character. is shown up, I think, in like the new Thrawn book or something, or mm-hmm. doing something with her in literature. And so I love the idea that once you establish these characters, they then they then they then become just another piece of the tool set that you could deploy, you know, as narratively um, you know, makes sense. I think that's great. I love that. We talk about synergy, storytelling synergy all the time in the Star Wars universe because we did grow up in Legends and we'd like to see how all those characters played out in Legends. And yeah, I mean, to see the ghost show up in Rise of Skywalker, you're like, man, is it Jason Syndulla in there? Is it now General Syndulla? There's, it's to your right. point where you get to Admiral. play with toys and make your own stories. Now our imagination goes, but now with Filoni and Favreau helming the Mandalorian and maybe weaving a tale that'll get us to the, to the sequel trilogy. That's real interesting to see where they're going to go with that. So I don't know why we get such a thrill out of seeing these little crossovers and moments of connectivity. Like the Marvel movies obviously have existed on this now, you know, I mean, they do, they do all kinds of other wonderful things, but like, I remember 
I think it was Iron Man 2, the first time that you saw like Captain America's shield like in the background and like you saw it, and went, oh my God, yeah, yeah. shield. And this is that moment, like we all kind of latched onto that moment. And I forget which Star Trek movie is. It's either like eight or nine um, when Janeway shows up for like two minutes. And like yes. Picard has a conversation with Admiral Janeway. Like, oh my God, that's so cool because she was in Voyager and I've seen that as well. And like, you just like nerd <laughs> yeah. out on these little connective moments. I don't know why, but like there's something in our nerdy DNA that loves it when like someone, someone from something shows up in something else. Yeah. Like it's really exciting for us. I think it's like as a nerd, you just like to know something that, a lot of other people don't know. Like I understood that yeah. reference. I got that. Yeah, that's when we when we when we saw Rogue at the premiere. Like the six people at the back that recognize, you know, with the General Sindula shout out. Like, oh my god! Like they got so excited about that. Yes. And so it is a little bit of that shibboleth of going, yeah, like I have the secret knowledge that I've earned because I'm a true, true fan. But that, but I think it's also a sense of like every time that happens, you just get this this kind of even though it's all fictional, you get the sense of like, yeah, this is all part of something bigger. Like these aren't mm. just like separate mm-hmm. little stories they all like the marvel you like yeah. the, the mcu is the greatest example of that right all the movies exist in their own right but they but they are the the sum the the, the sum is greater than than the sum of the parts right it's bigger mm-hmm. than than just individual movies it's a it's it's, a, it's an overall universe like a whole vibe that they've created you just for every movie that you see like you're waiting to see those what's the next like point of connectivity that's going to make this feel like it's something even bigger than it was before mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I, I know how that feels for me as a, as a super diehard fan i know how that feels for me but i also appreciate seeing my friends who aren't as into star wars or they just picked up the mandalorian for the first time they're experiencing their version of cob vanth or their version of these connective easter eggs or whatever you want to call them and I also appreciate that side too, because then you can help them learn. They, oh man, wh- what's this guy, Cobb Vanth? Like, where'd he come from? You can then recommend the books and get more people into those things. And it's fun. It's, I guess it just boils down to being fun. It's just, it's also great for the creators as well. I haven't spoken, Chuck's a good friend of mine. I haven't spoken to him recently, but I'm sure like when, when he found out that a character he created for those books showed he's now in the Mandalorian, like that's a thrill, right? Like, yeah. Like, as a life beyond you know what you originally intended oh, watching delilah as dawson she went to target to go buy captain cardinal's action figure which is a right. character that she created and mm-hmm. she was i mean you can just see the smile on her face she posted a selfie of it you know five I, I, mean, I, I remember going to target on the force friday for rogue one and like buying like you know uh, buying the k2 action figure and thinking wow. this is so cool and again the the, the mustafa lego set is probably, yes. probably the coolest oh my god like that was me saying we should put like we should make it a castle <laughs> For Darth Vader, and now it's a now it's Lego. Like that's study. Yes. It's insane. Yeah. Well, and they've used that castle and like tons of other stuff now too. Like there's a there's a whole story arc that has to do with the castle in the comics, and it's oh, I I feel like Star Wars has like and I've always felt this spoiled me for other speculative fiction because everything is connected. And every little thing you see has a backstory. And now we're putting out anthologies of backstories for minor characters. Like it's like now I watch something else and I'm like, Oh, I want to know more about that thing in the background or that thing because star Wars always tells those stories and not, right. not everything else does. Yeah. And, and it's, and it, it's, there's a certain amount of storytelling discipline you have to have as well, because you don't need to tell every story, right? It's like, you, you don't right. have to pull on every thread and like pull it out to its, logical conclusion like for example i see that your name there is battle of tanab now that's really cool i for, for me like whether like let's say you said like oh let's make a movie about the battle of tanab it's like oh or let's do it in like the young lando show or whatever like you you could do that but like sometimes it's cool to just let it be this thing that they said yes. one time and 
we can kind of imagine that that was a cool thing that happened. But like, do we need to see everything dramatized? Maybe, you know, maybe not. It's, you, again, yeah. and, and, nor, and nor can you do everything. Like there aren't enough hours in the day to take every Star Wars reference and turn it into a full-fledged thing. So you have to, you know, again, it's a constant, it's a constant you know, creative battle of like choosing which, which of those little threads that you want to pull on. And, you know, yeah. a classic example is, yeah, wouldn't you want to see how the Rebels actually stole the Death Star plans? Because that's so, that's such a kind of, you know, a, 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 a fundamental part of the storytelling. Like without that story, there's no Star Wars. So telling that mm-hmm. makes sense. And I know that there are nerds out there that want to see every single thing, like, you know, realized in living color. But sometimes, yeah. it's, but but don't you agree though that sometimes it's it's okay to just You're leave right. something? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. You know, to circle back to what you said at the beginning of the interview, like that's the stuff that kids can use their action figures to act out right, their yeah. own battle of Tanab. Yes, right. You don't have to see it. Yeah, Write your own fan cool. fiction. I mean, uh, uh, the Knights of Ren were perfect. They were prime for that. <laughs> you know, to, you didn't have to know their backstory. You just knew that they were these ominous folks uh, and. You know, th- th- yeah, I do agree. I think that that's <laughs> yeah. Before I go, before I get in the hot water at the Knights of Ren, uh, yeah, I think that that is something magical about that. So, Mister mm-hmm. Gary Witta, do you mind hanging out with us for just a few minutes? We blow this thing and go home. Sure. You're all clear, kid. Now let's blow this thing and go home. Got a really good feeling about this. That wraps it. This is our, I mean, this is, this has been a dream. This has been fun. <laughs> we got to hang out with Gary Witta on the Star Wars Friends podcast. We got to learn a lot. We got to do some deep dives and this is, thank you. I just want to say thank you for spending time with us and sharing your origin stories, letting us know where the seeds to your creative mind has come, have come from. It's been a fascinating conversation with you, sir. So thank you very much. And uh, where can people find you on social media? Where do you want to, what do you want to promote to them? I'm very easy to find it's just on social media. It's just my name. I'm not on Facebook because I think Facebook is uh, a force, a negative force is making the world a, a, a more divided and hateful place every day. Um, but uh, I'm on Twitter at Gary Witter, G-A-R-Y-W-H-I-T-T-A. Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Gary Witter. I stream video games and other stupid stuff. Uh, on Twitch and uh, also on YouTube, youtube.com slash Gary, where you can go uh, subscribe to the channel and all the various kind of dumb YouTube shows I make uh, are over there as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. And this Animal Crossing thing that my friend was obsessed with and made a very specific phone call. What's the story with that? Where can they find where can they find you on there? So we made uh, during during the the lockdown when everyone was bored. You know, I was playing Animal Crossing and I turned my uh, just as a fun experiment turned my the basement of my Animal Crossing house into a replica of a late night talk show set with like a desk and a couch yeah. and the, the the plants in the background and the city the city night you know sky you know wallpaper in the background. And it looked really good, and I thought, well, we should do something with it. And I invited some friends of mine to come over and, like, pretend to do a talk show. But it was so, it was so much fun, and people seemed to really like it. We streamed it on Twitch that we ended up um, uh, doing more of them, and it just became like a fun hobby. But then, 
uh, people started to notice that we were doing it and it was getting bigger and bigger audiences. And then I don't know how this happened, but we ended up somehow booking like real celebrity guests, like guests that you would not, you would not look at the place like on the real yeah. night show. We've had Selena Gomez on the show, Brie Larson, Sting, Gorillaz. Oh my goodness. Elijah Wood, T-Pain. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's nutty. And we do it all inside Animal Crossing and it's, it's like a cartoon talk show that takes place in real time and people have really responded to it. And uh, the YouTube channel is where you would go find those. We've done about so two cool. seasons, about 25 uh, episodes uh, so far, and uh, you can find them all on the YouTube channel. That's so cool. That's fun. That's a that's a cool way to pass yeah. time in COVID era. Very cool. So if you've enjoyed this show, you can always email us, show at starwarsfriends.com. If you have questions you want to ask Gary next time he's on the show, send them over too. We'll <laughs> save them well, for sure for January. Or, January for sure. If you'll yeah, have yeah. yeah. That would be very cool. Send them in at show at starwarsfriends.com. You can find us on social at SW Friends Show. That's SW Friends Show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me on Twitter at no one is Chris. Where can they find the rest of you? This is Josh, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Battle of Tanab. This is Justin. You can find me on Twitter at I am the Bendu. I'm Kyle, and I'm at KB underscore Legend on everything. And this is Maggie, and you can find me on Twitter at Maggie of the Town. Very cool. Don't forget to join us every single Friday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time for Razorcrest Reacts, where we cover every episode, our initial reactions to the episodes of The Mandalorian can't wait to do chapter 10 coming up here so thank you again gary witta this has been an honor a pleasure be safe be well and uh we can't wait to see what you come up with next we're gonna end this in classic fashion may the force be with you always, always. later friends don't forget to subscribe to the star wars friends podcast and leave an awesome review on whichever podcast app you're listening on catch up on past episodes fun interviews and more at starwarsfriends.com connect with the star wars friends on social media at sw friends show on twitter instagram and facebook email the show at show at starwarsfriends.com thanks for listening and as always may the force be with you 